Reptile Gumbo Podcast. I'm James Lewis from Simply Serpents. And I'm April Justine from Designer Exotics. Each week, we'll discuss what is happening in herpetoculture on social media, YouTube, and even on other podcasts. We will share our opinions and thoughts on current events, as well as the opinions of you, the listener. Make sure to check out our Facebook and Instagram for interactive polls and posts where you can tell us what you were thinking. Then listen for your name each week as we share your opinions on the podcast. So sit back and relax. Here's the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Welcome to episode 16 of the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Uh, It's like 16A because we actually did record an episode 16 uh, with Megan Kelly, which we posted on our Facebook page that we had her. And we did a whole show with her. And then when I went to edit it, the sound was messed up. That's like my fault. I, I prematurely uh, advertised that. So I was just excited. Well, everybody else was excited to hear from her, too. And I was super bummed that I couldn't. And trust me, guys, had you had to listen to that whole interview, the no- the background noise it was making would have made you throw up. It was horrible. Uh, but good news is that she was kind enough to reschedule, and we will do episode 17 with her instead. Yes. So next week, we will have Megan Kelly. But this week, it's me, it's April, and we brought in our good friend, Ryan Cox. What's up, Cox? What up? We always have Ryan on standby if we need somebody to fill in. I'm, like, chuckling like a 15-year-old boy. I'm like, Cox. <laughs> Wow, so mature, so fucking mature. Ryan, Ryan's never heard that joke. That's crazy. Oh, welcome to life. Inside My Head. Okay. So anyway, so we we did this whole podcast. We covered April. And I covered all the stuff we're about to talk about again. So uh, let's go ahead and talk about it again. Let's do it. So let's go ahead talk about it again. Again. So let's talk about our questions on Facebook we had this week. First one was. If you could have any existing morph or morph combo of any species, what would it be? And uh, half of y'all put locales because the word morph is tricky for you. I feel like we should post on there the definition of morph. Be like snorted. <laughs> the definition of morph versus the definition of locality. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard. You know, like, islands and, you know, versus mutations are hard. They're tricky. They're confusing. <laughs> They're so similar. You know what, though? Honestly, if you're new to reptiles, that actually might be tricky. We are just possibly a little bit jaded because we've been doing it for as well, long as we have. I get that some parts of it. Like, uh, for example, for a long time, I thought in Aru, which is the like, classic white striped chondro, was like a morph when I first got in. Like, it was like, I thought it was in a roof phase. Then I realized, dumb. oh, I know, right? <laughs> hey, that took me a while too, but now I know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's geography, genetics. They both start with a G. It's weird. But there was and I'm really bad with geography. Hmm. I think I see some people post some things, and I'm like, I'm like, hold on. I know you all watch Reach Out Reptiles. You know what a locale is. Well, and some of them put the word locality in the name. So I'm just, it's I'm, true. I'm, if, if you're listening and you're one of those people, uh, just accept that we're laughing at you or with you, however you want it. At least Travis Weinman, like he he said, I know it's not a, a morph, and then he said uh, super dwarf retics, pure blood super dwarf retics, which I think uh, people just getting into retics think of it as a morph, but they, they do. Totally it's not. terrible. Yeah, it's it, it's just because you breed a small retic. 
to a full size retic does not mean you're getting small retics. That's not how that's not how Super Dwarf works. Well, I mean, it's fucked up no matter what, because the idea is, it's so, you know, we think, we, we always call homozygous expressions in an incomplete dominant form, we call it a super. You yeah. know, like, it's a super fire, it's a super phantom, it's a super hippopotamus. It means nothing you know? to, to someone who knows genetics, though. When you say super to them, they're like, what the hell's wrong with you? Well, that's why I'm like, I'm like, yeah, in the homozygous form, people look at you like you have four eyes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, let's look at something, again, I said Travis's, uh, Eric Burt said a silver-peppered inland carpet python which I still haven't looked up since the last time we recorded this, but April did explain it to me, and she said it looks really pretty, so I'm sure, Eric, it is very pretty. Yes, and he has every right every right to be that enthusiastic about wanting one. I think Terrell wants one, too, honestly. And uh, Lance Kirkman talked about, I assume those are all pythons, Candino and Candy. Um, I think yeah. so. I think that's a, an albino mixed so, with something else. Since those are all pythons, we can skip right past that. Um, <laughs> And then Brendan Frisella, uh, if I mess up your name, uh, tough, I guess. Uh, he said a banana ball python as a joke. And then he said not more specific and gave us two non-morph things, fly river turtles or and Fiji banded iguanas, which I, I will accept that one because Fiji banded iguanas are awesome. Fly river turtles are cool, too. They're like little like freshwater sea turtles. They don't have hands. With pig faces. Yeah, but it's the, the flappers that are cool. They do have flappers. Yeah, not I did really just call them flappers. Not to be confused with, like, the dancers from the 1920s. Yeah, kind of flapper. But the, the old oh, flappers. Oh, man. Um, Y'all, I promise I'm pretty intelligent. Just sometimes it doesn't come out that Words way. are hard. Words are really hard. Okay. <laughs> it's hard to word. Jason Brumley said an albino green tree python, which I looked that up. It It's pretty if you, like... I don't know if it's pretty if you like green tree pythons. If you like green tree pythons because they're green, then you may not like the albino. If you like yellow snakes, though, you will love it. That is true. If you like yellow, thin-bodied, fragile-looking snakes on a stick, that is your snake. Mm-hmm. Oh, the albino chondros. Uh, mm. And then uh, Randy, I don't want to mess up your last name, Randy, said a calico Dominican red mountain boa. And again, the problem with that one is like there's one good picture of a calico Dominican red mountain boa. And that's the one everyone sees. And they go out and they buy a Dominican Red Mountain Boa and they wonder why it's not blotched with white all over it. Um, because you saw the one good one. I'm sure someone out there is like producing a bunch of them. They look amazing. But I only ever see like the one picture that floats on Facebook that sells more Dominican Red Mountain Boas because people think it looks like that. Uh, There's intros to the species and that's just one of them. Yeah. Then this one kind of tied into our original guest, but Jeff Obst. Um, I probably messed that name too. Albino green anaconda, which we talked about with Megan, which we will talk about with Megan again next week. So anybody, yes, we will. Who wants to hear about albino green anacondas? Tune in next week. Uh, we will talk about them because she has them. And then uh, <laughs> Scott, Scott Borden's is still funny. If you didn't a, know. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're under a rock, she has them. And then Scott Borden said, "Het for normal, just a het for normal." That's what he wanted. <laughs> As a Scott Borden answer, uh, <laughs> Matt House said a reduced pattern diamond python, which I would I would think looks pretty cool. Uh, and then again, you and Darren Watson talked about really white blood pythons. Yep, high oh, white T negative. The old, the old white blood python. I'm trying to see if there's anything else that I thought was super cool. Not that any of what y'all think is not super cool, but I mean, you I don't think mine's cool, cool you asshole. Where's yours? Just, uh, just skip yeah, it. which one's yours, Ryan? Oh, there it is. Blonde. Oh, Rainbow Retic and Blonde Tiger. We did talk about it the first time I recorded, I promise. 
Yes, we actually <laughs> because did because Megan, Megan knew exactly what you were talking about and had to educate us. Ridiculous. <laughs> I, I do love tiger retakes. As far as retakes go, I've always thought tiger retakes are the prettiest. Just that, that kind of like smooth look. They kind of have like that jaguar look, like the jaguar carpet look, but in a retake. Yeah. It's, it's like, like a jag that doesn't go upside down. down. And then the, the rainbows are like bat <laughs> the rainbows are like bat eaters, but for people who don't know, because you're doing this again, rainbow is also called the ocelot by nerd. Uh they're called something else by somebody, and then there's like Slytherin calls it like some like Spanish name that you can't pronounce, so that's doomed. But they're all three they're all four of the same thing. So what you're saying is retics are like ball pythons. They just give them tons of names for the exact same thing. Well everybody hates Jay hates Jay Brewer and they want to snub him. I don't think I hate him. I just don't like him. I, I, I like I Jay, but I don't, I just know, don't agree I don't know something he does. I don't know him. I don't dislike him. I dislike him finger-fucking the eggs. That's what I dislike. <laughs> I, I, it's just the way some people do things, and I'm like, oh, God, okay. Not my, not my monkey, not my circus. <laughs> just yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, And then, so let's give ours, Ryan. We just read yours. April, what is your dream morph? And I kind of know what your dream morph is, but go ahead. I, You know what? It's so funny. I'm like, okay, my dream morph. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, did I say this one last time? I think I did, but I'm not 100% sure. But mine would be a uh, Motley Golden Child retic and the darkest form of that. So if you all have some really sweet dark ones, let me know. And I'm willing to wait for the perfect one. So don't think you're just going to sell me on any of them. Just saying. I'm a, I don't, I don't think I have a dream morph. I, I mentioned last time was, I would like a male Samboa with just a bunch of genes in it, just because genetically I enjoy that whole mixing something with like three or four genes with something else that has three or four genes, and then getting seven different combinations in the babies. Like that, that part's fun to me. Uh, and so I really like the paint uh, in Samboas. It gives it a thick, solid line down the back. I think that's awesome. Um, but other than that, I don't have a ton of morph stuff. I mean, although I do like morphs. I'm more of a morph and a locale person. People start throwing out localities, and I'm just like, yeah, okay, that's great. Brother, you, you like your super sunglows. Don't lie to us. I do like super sunglows. I'm, I'm, as soon as I get a female, I, I, would, I take it back. I would like to produce super hypo jungle albino, which would be a super sunglow, jungle sunglow, however you want to name it. But basically, really bright white orange boa with really messed up pattern is what I would like to do. I think it would look awesome. That turns like pink as it gets older. That's my, that is my goal. So It sounds like it has a family ladder, not a family tree. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. It's, it's, they're going to be closely related. <laughs> you said that and I'm like, like, man, that's got a family ladder. That's not a tree at all. That's just one rung down. One rung down. That's why, I, that's why I've got a super sun glow that I produce and I want to pick up a het albino Hypo jungle. So it's head albino. It's a little outcross some from the albino gene, just to try and diversify the genes. But that is my goal. So I'm working towards trying to make my, I guess my dream morph. Um, I will have to do a dream locale thing on here at some point because there are some dream locale stuff that are, you know are just like general. Don't know, do this to me. <laughs> you just want small retics from whatever island in the middle of the Pacific. Oh, I want them from a lot of places. That's, That's my problem. problem. If you, you give me a bunch of normal retics that are locales, and I'd be like, fuck you, fuck you, chicken strips. I'm going to see with my locales. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, well, I'll say that for another conversation, but yeah, Mad I've talked about it before, Madagascan tree boas, so that's kind of, kind of my thing, but we'll talk about that another time. 
So when I come save your ass again. <laughs> Got it. Look, I'm telling you, y'all listen to this. I know that we've had other recordings with Baz Town in the past, and I'm really hoping this one sounds right. I, I took a sample recording before we started. It sounded fine. And it, and it drives me nuts because, honestly, the last the one we just did the other day, I didn't change anything from how I recorded the last three podcasts prior to that. So, I hate technology. Or it hates me. It's one of the two. So, on with our second question. From I think it's you. It's and you need, to, you need to get your shit together. That's true. You just have Joe do your podcast for you. That's true. You'll, you'll be the guest. <laughs> anyway, so, sorry. Our, our other question was, what is or are your preferred substrate or substrates and why? Um, and most of these were very similar. They were kind of... Uh, for the people that are trying to make more of a a natural looking or something that holds humidity, is more of a mixture, you know, mixing soils with cocoa beddings. Um, so that was on there a lot. Then there were a handful that was do paper, and I still do paper in a couple of things. I know that you do paper, April, and a couple of things. That I do. Most of my adults are on paper. Yeah. That's because yours just get, I mean, when they go to the bathroom, there's no saving. There's no spot cleaning a blood python bathroom. Yeah, it's like a gallon a piece. So if I did bedding, it just wouldn't be economical to change out the bedding all the time. But now I'm modifying it, and their um, their hide tub now has bedding in it, so they do get a little bit of bedding. That's how I do it, too. Yeah. Ryan, what do you do? Everything. <laughs> I'm, I'm really bad about uh, substrate and everything because, I mean, uh, let's be honest here, I've not been in the hobby long enough really to – give like a glorified definitive answer so I'm, I'm always playing with stuff i mean i've got one rat snake tub that's set up bioactive with joe's uh iso straight and coconut husk in there i've got uh retics that are on cypress mulch uh i got a carpet python that's on cocoa husk uh and my leopard gecko gets like whatever leftovers he has i'm like oh your leopard gecko can't fuck this up but uh i mean i think once i finally get settled into like a, like a real you know have this proper room and everything set up then I'll be able to say, like, oh, this is my first substrate with him, well, whatever. And we talked about this before. Substrate, asking your favorite substrate really takes in a lot of things into consideration. First off, the type of animal that you're housing, because that's definitely going to determine your substrate. And then where you live, because mm-hmm. where, where I live in the south, humidity is not an issue. We have it. Uh, but if you live up north or out west, you need to be able to hold in humidity. So yeah. a lot of folks uh, will keep, say, ball pythons on paper and have no problem. But some people will keep ball pythons on paper, and they can't get good sheds out of them. And so they've got to put them on yep. over the husk or something. Yeah. Even mine. I found recently, the within the past couple of weeks, I had about three animals shed. And my sheds were so crappy. And the humidity in Memphis, Tennessee is pretty freaking high. Um, I think it's been at, like, 63 to 75 this week. And that's just, like, with my windows open, matching outside. And I still had really crappy sheds, so I'm doing. I'm going to do a little bit more experimentation, and I'll let you know how that all goes. But just because you have a humid place doesn't necessarily mean that your sheds are going to be fantastic. True, and then that also comes into. I know uh, all the other podcasts. I know Riley talks about it. I know Eric talks about it. Knowing your reptile room as well. Your even if you live in the same town as somebody, your room. The, the microclimate of your reptile room may be drastically different than the person across town. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I'm going to get one of those Govee um, 
temperature and hydro hydro oh my god words again april the, the, the humidity that, reader. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna describe it instead of say it. Oh, man, okay. Like I said, I promise y'all, I'm actually intelligent. Um, but I'm gonna put one of those inside of the tub itself. Yeah, exactly. I'm gonna put one of those inside the tub itself and see what the difference is between inside the tub and then my room itself, because I think there actually is a a wide range that I'm not aware of. Or I think it's okay because my room's good, but I, I I don't think my bins are as good as I originally had thought. I uh, and well, as far as bedding goes, I use Aspen, which that will tie into a video we're gonna talk about later, which will be a whole fun conversation. But I use Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I use Aspen for my colubrids or colubrids, uh, and all my sand boas, rosy boas, things where humidity's really not an issue. It allows them to burrow, hide underneath it. Also, for like things like corn snakes, it allows you to spot clean since they, they shit all the time. It's so much easier just to spot clean. But then, like my boas tend to be on paper because they're going to have one big turd or they're going to pee, and it's, it's it's just easier to do it that way. Um, I, I recently, well, seriously, in the last year, I switched my rainbows over to uh, Reptile Chip, some coconut husk, uh, just to help with humidity, and it's really helped with some of the sheds and stuff. You know, like, if I know they're going to go into shed, I can spray it down pretty heavy for the next few days, and it really helps them peel off that skin better. So, like I said, it, just, it really depends on what, what you have, where you're at. There's a lot of th- different things. You do what works for you, which is a big thing that we talk about on this podcast. You do you. Do whatever works for your situation, whether it be, you know, different types of caging, different types of heating, different types of bedding. There's a ton of options. Which one of y'all are outside? It's me. I'm sitting outside right now. Can you hear the birds? I can hear the birds. It's it's very nice. I'm like honestly, it's quite peaceful. <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting outside. And it's like rain, like raining right now. It's terrible here. Just drift away to the sound of birds. It's happy thoughts. Happy thoughts. Happy thoughts. Uh, Justin Smith. I mean, he gave a whole laundry list of options. He said, "Care fresh puppy pads, paper towel, cypress, and it's all depending on the species and or size." Uh, you, you know what's something I, interesting? Uh, have you ever used, like, like the, the paper, paper pellets for colubrids and stuff? I, nope. No, it's just because they, I've seen, like, they, they they fluff up and fall apart. I don't know. They're heavy. Well, that's, that's why I like them, because they, they, you know, they you can see it, and you spot it in the little area, and you just throw it away, and it's really cheap. You can get a big bag of it from, like, pet supply and shit. So, like, as a, a cleanliness aspect of it, you can, you're not going to miss any of the waste at all, basically? No, you're not gonna miss it, and then I'm, I'm just like, it, for some reason, like the the rat snakes, I mean, they love to like burrow in it and everything. And I was just like, oh, cool. And unlike aspen and stuff, it doesn't, uh, it's not near as dusty, which uh, God, I've said it already. So I, I, the paper pellets are they're okay, but in a rack system, they just add so much weight. Yeah, that, I can see that totally. I can see like you have to be like seventy, uh, a CB seventy or something for that with, yeah, it'd be miserable. That's what I've got, CB70s, and, and there'd be a lot of weight in there. Um, I, I also right now have to apologize to Justin Smith, because I make fun of him for, for eating on his podcast, but right now I'm in the process of eating a sandwich, so if y'all hear me eating, uh, tough, it's all shine when I'm hungry. Dude, at least I muted myself while I was eating, gosh! <laughs> I, I tried, but it's just, there's so many things going on, and sandwich is fairly quiet. I, I have not touched my chips yet. <laughs> 
really want to eat my chips. But Do I'm not. Like, if you eat the chips, I swear to God, I will yep. fly down and stab you with a rusty fork. We are not allowing this. <laughs> sure. I'm not going to touch my chips. I'm just going to eat my big old Schlotzky sandwich because I love Schlotzky. That sounds dirty. Ooh. It kind of does because I don't know what it is. Schlotzky's I don't either. Schlotzky, you know, like, okay. You've never eaten a Schlotzky's? <laughs> No, it's we're going to have to visit you and eat there, huh? It's an awesome sandwich place. It's a chain. I mean, they're everywhere. It's not everywhere. Not near y'all. Well, nothing's in Kentucky, really. What the fuck wants to happen in Kentucky? Uh, we got keto, well. Y'all got fried chicken. That's what you have. Fried right, chicken's right. good, I guess. <laughs> um, so anyways, back, back from food. Uh, that was our two questions. Betting. So there's, there's no one right answer for betting, except don't use cedar. I think that's pretty much what we can agree on. The mm-hmm. one thing, some people will still use pine. They'll say they use kiln dried pine, and it's fine. But I, I still don't, I still don't trust pine in any shape or form. Yeah, I don't use it either. Just because it was so ingrained in me, yes. gr- like growing through the hobby. Don't use pine. Don't use pine. Don't use pine. I'm like, I'm not convinced yet. <laughs> so I'm just gonna stick with my aspen. <laughs> I always feel that like using eucalyptus. Those are the ones that blow my mind. That there are there are keepers with like eight hundred thousand followers on YouTube that use eucalyptus mulch to keep away bugs. Swear to God. And also keep away the reptiles. Interesting. Interesting. Oh, um, oh Lord. And so moving on to other stuff on our Facebook page for this week. I always put out the post. If you're listening, there's always a post every week for you to put uh, videos, posts on other Facebook pages, anything you see online about reptiles. You can tag it on there, and we'll talk about it. Uh, Lance Kirkman, as usual, put a bunch of stuff. I'll, I'll hit a couple of them. Uh, one was uh, the picture you see like every two weeks going out of Australia, which is a carpet python eating some sort of marsupial. Uh, this was a big carpet python eating a possum, which is, I mean, it's either possum or a wallaby or a baby kangaroo. They eat everything over there. Yeah, uh, it's really big. <laughs> she said, I'm always, oh. I'm always no. amazed. And how big of a meal, though, that carpet pythons get eaten when you see these pictures. Yeah, but at the same time, they're only eating, like, once or twice a year when they eat a meal that big. True, true, yeah. We're, you know? They're not eating an adult kangaroo every every week. That's not... Exactly. Uh, First off, I want to see a carpet python eat an adult kangaroo. Find that one. That's the 10-foot coastal. That's it. There we go. That yeah. one 10-foot coastal that exists in the wild. Uh, but, yeah, it's eating, a, it's eating a possum, and it's... Uh, but it's always impressive. It's... What what they can, what they can fit in their mouths. Nobody, nobody. Okay, that's dirty too. We're though. not we're not gonna let you go down this road right now. <laughs> uh, the coolest one that was posted that I held this week came from Matt Howe, and it was an article on garter snakes. And yes, what, and this what, one's super cool. Yeah. Sorry, I'm very excited, guys. <laughs> and, and normally, if I'm like an article on garter snakes, yeah. But this one was about the social aspect of garter snakes. We tend to think of snakes as not being very social other than coming together to breed. And sometimes we picture, you know, picture Manitoba with all the garter snakes coming out together and getting horny together at the same time. Or breeding balls when they have anacondas. But what they found was they would take they took separate tanks and they put, I think it was 10 snakes in each tank. And they put a little dot on them so they could tell them apart. And then every day they would take them out, clean the snake, clean all the scent off of them, put them back together. And what they were finding out is that these snakes would form cliques or groups, and they tend to form them with the same individuals. Not just with any other random garter snake, but the same three or four would group up every time. Even after they cleared all the scent off of them, they don't smell the same, they put them back. Which shows that 
they're actually seeking out certain ones. You know, Jim over here is seeking out Bob, and they're not just randomly finding another garter snake, which I think is really interesting, especially since we don't tend to think of garter snakes as being higher on the list of intelligence of snakes. We think, like, retics and some of your larger constrictors or, like, cobras. But these garter snakes are, you know, when they're going to find these uh, holes to hide in, they're seeking out other individuals that they know, not just a random garter snake that smells like a garter snake. The thing about this, that, like, I've been kind of thinking this a little bit lately, but it's what else do we not know? Like, what are we doing wrong because we don't know? Like, so many people say, oh, your snakes don't need enrichment, they're fine, but do they? Like, I I don't have the answers to this, but lately I've been really, like, just wondering how much out there do we still have yet to discover that will affect the way that we keep our snakes? Like, maybe I'm doing it awfully wrong, and I've been preaching that this is a good way to do it for blood pythons specifically, right? And, you know, maybe, I don't know. I, I just think there there's so much that we don't know, and it actually concerns me that I'm doing a disservice to my animals because I don't know. But with that, when we get new information in, like, I, I hope everyone has an open mind to take that new information and apply it and just don't say, oh, well, I've been doing it this way for years and it works, so I'm just going to keep doing it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's, that's, that's, well, that's like, you look at, you keep short tails and stuff. Like, think about, you know, 30 years ago, whatever, people were saying, you know, you kept them in mud pretty much. They were swamp snakes. Mm-hmm. And look how far you all have come in that time because at the time you all, like, like that, they were just ignorant. So and really and it gets adjusted it. as you, you learn the new information. So I just hope there's still going to be enough out there in the wild to be able to do these studies on. <laughs> like, we're, they're losing so much habitat so quickly, and it's just so depressing. One thing I found interesting about this article is that I, and I, with snakes, we tend to say do not cohab. And there are very good reasons to, to not cohab certain species. Very good reasons. Mainly them eating each other. But... I do know that I tend to hear garter snake people talking about cohabbing their snakes. And now this makes sense that maybe they are meant to, maybe they are far more social of an animal than say a boa constrictor, which, you know, in the wild tends to really only come together or we only see them together when breeding. Mm-hmm. Maybe garter snakes are a completely different, you know, they are a completely different snake. So therefore they are more of a social animal. So maybe cohabbing keeps them less stressed. That's the way they're supposed to, to be housed, not just by themselves. So I think this article really shines a light on possibly how to keep them correctly. Maybe maybe one garter snake is not the best way to keep garter snakes. Maybe we all just suck at keeping. Well, that's true. <laughs> but I like that one guy in the in that one video we're going to talk about. He says that most retic people suck at keeping retics. Well, oh dear God. Let's go ahead and talk. About that. <laughs> all right, let's go ahead. So, you had to trigger me. <laughs> So this, so normally when we talk about videos on here, YouTube videos, we're saying what a great video it was. It was very informative. It was impressive. Whatever. Uh, but this week, I was, I found it actually on a Facebook page, which the problem, and you'll as we go into the topic, you'll understand, is that someone thought it was a good enough video to share in a Facebook page. And and to be honest, most of these Facebook pages are full of people that are not ten years, fifteen years in the hobby. They're uh, six months in the hobby, a year in the hobby. Uh, and so when they see these videos, 
they start to take them as truth or fact, especially, and I've talked about before, if that person has followers. The more followers you have, the more of an expert you are, which is not true. Not true. Just not true. It's, it's ridiculous. No, you're good at branding and personal marketing. Yeah. That's what you're good at. <laughs> and so the, the video we're talking about is from Go Herping. And it's called Why Aspen is a Bad Pet Reptile Substrate. And let me start off with saying, I am not bad-mouthing the individual himself. I am bad-mouthing the information that individual put out and how ridiculous it is, I think, that he said it. And so, let me give you a breakdown of what the video talked about. He went through talking about how he doesn't use Aspen anymore in any of his enclosures. And that's fine. I have no problem if you don't want to use Aspen. That's not the issue I have. I'm not saying everyone should use it. Again, we already had the conversation about it depends on what you're doing, what kind of species, all that. His list of negatives for Aspen are, there's no way, they're fucking ridiculous. There's no other way to say it. And, and as you watch the video, if you're someone who's been in the hobby long enough and, and, and used it and, and actually see it's crazy. He talks about the dust. Okay, that's the number one thing you always hear about dust. And we mentioned it earlier. He talks about the dust. Yes, there is a dust factor to Aspen. And there's not a dust factor to paper. That's just I don't. That's how it is. I don't notice dust so much with the chips that I use. That's because you use fancy people's aspen. You, you, you use the Repti chip. Did I got bougie aspen? Yeah, bougie. <laughs> you get the sandy chip, the like, a, chip. like a rich ass. Yeah. Well, this I'm, I guess I'm paying for dust free because I don't notice dust that much. Some of us lower common folk go to the pet store oh, and buy man. a giant bag of it. But, yeah, it's dusty. Tough shit. It's not like your animal's living in the dust bowl. It's not every time you open your bin, you're not going to have to like put on a mask. It's, it's a little dusty. You, you'll get the fuck over it. So that one, I was like, okay, whatever. If that's his argument, sure. Then, he talked about mold. He talked about the fact that if it gets wet at all, it will almost like, you remember those little uh, dinosaurs, little foam dinosaurs that came in a capsule and as soon as you put them in the water, they dissolve and they fluff up into a dinosaur? Yes. Yeah. That's what it seemed like. It seemed like as soon as water touched it, mold happened immediately. Just like those little dinosaurs grew immediately. I'm like, that's ridiculous. I mean, I've opened and closed my tubs all day long. I know water splashes out onto the aspen. I don't have mold. The only mold issue I ever had was once when I had it with a rainbow boa in a tub and I had not put ventilation holes. It was a brand new rack. I had not put ventilation holes in it. I had kind of missed the tub a little bit and then I had left for a couple days. Came back, and there was a lot of this big, fluffy, white mold. I fixed I've it. Had, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I've had where, like, I open or close a drawer, and I have the, the vision racks, and so sometimes it gets, like, stuck on, on one of the, the poles, and so it water splashes out, and kind of a lot of water splashes out, actually. And if that water gets trapped under the water bowl, then yes, that is going to mold. But... If you're a decent keeper, you probably should be checking on your animals enough to know when mold is growing and clean it up. I mean, is that, like, too obvious? Is that too much to ask out of someone who's caretaking for another, like, being? Well, for apparently snake keepers are lazy people, so we just look, we see our animals once a week, walk away, and don't come back for another week. That, that, okay, as bad as it sounds, that is a very true statement, though. And I, I, we, we, I mean, you, you we did pick, I mean, there's a reason that we're not monitor people, okay? Monitor people build these massive yeah. enclosures, spend a lot of time with their animals, they prepare diets. What the fuck is preparing it? I take something out of the freezer and let it fall. That is it. So, James, it's because you're a low I had to house fucking it. boas. Yes, I, I'm lazy and I like my low maintenance boas. It's great. 
But I, I pet sit for someone that had a bunch of iguanas and lizards and stuff. I'm like, nope, I definitely know this is not it for me. <laughs> I mean, even with that being said, I'm not lazy enough to go, man, look at all this fucking mold, and then close the tub and walk away. Yeah. So And even so, okay, uh, Megan pointed out, and since we're not covering the same information with Megan, she was saying that when you have, like, she has bulk Aspen that she buys, and when it is sitting there, in the corner of her warehouse, it is not collecting mold and growing mold. So there's there's something, you know, with how you're keeping the animal that is going to cause that mold. It's just not going to mold by itself. And the way he worded it, it sounded like it was just going to mold by itself, like some magic thing was going to happen. And that's not the case. Well, it's like he, he kept talking about how there's mold and this, like, water gets on everything. And uh, honestly, from what it sounds like with his experience, it sounds like he doesn't have a lot of ventilation because I've worked at greenhouses for a long time when I was, uh, you know, in high school and stuff. And uh, one thing I learned very quickly there is that the enemy of mold is airflow. Mold has a hard time growing in an area with lots of ventilation. So, you know, you said your rainbow boa, you had a hard time uh, with it one time because you didn't get a lot of ventilation. That's it. So if you're keeping a ball python or something like that in a tank and you put some aspen in there, and yeah, you might have a bit of mold growth because you only have some vertical uh, ventilation. You don't have a cross flow. You don't have anything that's letting fresh air in uh, and everything. So that's what he can go on. He's like preaching that aspen thing. Like, yeah, I, I can say I've done it firsthand. Where you know we would get a pallet of some like uh, uh, low grade like hardwood mulch and it would start to mold because there wasn't good ventilation. So they took the mulch and instead of being inside, they put it in an overhang that let wind blow across anywhere and it stopped molding. Well, that's, so I imagine the aspen the same way. Where people have to understand there's a difference between humidity and wet. You know, when, that is a pet peeve of mine. Oh my goodness! When you open a tub and there's condensation, that's wet. That's not humidity. Humidity means you open the tub and put your hand in. You can feel humidity. You can feel a difference when you reach into a humid cage or tub versus a dry one. It's just it's like when you walk outside during the summer. Depending on where you live, it's Louisiana. It slaps you in the face. You can feel humidity. <laughs> so I like that. I just pictured James getting slapped oh, in the face. Bam! Like, he literally runs to the side of a cumulonimbus cloud, and he's like, boom, and boom. I love when people are like other people are like from up north someone will complain about being hot, and it's like, yeah, it's it's ninety eight degrees that day. My mom from Southern California, which is a desert, had the audacity to complain to me that it was humid. No. Look, if, if your humidity is not 70 or 80% on a normal day, uh, go fuck yourself. It sucks. I'm telling you right now, with that said, I don't want to move. But with that said, I mean, it's just, it's, it's very humid. And, and I'm glad I'm not somebody with a whole bunch of hair and, like, gets all curly when you walk outside. But it's, so learn the difference between humidity and wet. If your cage is wet, you're going to get mold growth. What are you doing, then, Ryan? Wait, I'm literally sitting outside. What is there wind or something? No, it sounds like one of us is either eating, and it's not me this time, or walking. It's not me either. First off, I had my mage. You really heard me walk off in the yard. So you weren't sitting outside. You were walking. You lying son of a bitch. I really walked out on the porch right. God damn it. So I get for getting a Diet Coke, motherfucker. That's funny stuff. Fuck y'all. It, sounded, it sounded like you were like snapping, eating maybe a sandwich or something. I just want to make sure everybody knew it wasn't me. It's not me. Hey, you heard you eat your fucking carrot sticks, goddammit. You know that's a lie. I 
would never touch a carrot. That's a vegetable. So uh, James Lewis likes carrot, likes carrot sticks and ranch. Spread the rumor. Ugh. Vegetables go to my tortoises. That's the only time I buy vegetables. He likes carrot cake minus the carrots. <laughs> exactly. Who ruins cake with carrots? Anybody out there defending carrot cake? You're wrong. I'm just gonna not even say anything. Then you're wrong. It's not worth. It's not worth the fight. I'm actually gonna. I'm actually gonna agree with Lewis for once on this one. <laughs> so going back to the what we're actually talking about, uh, I suggest anybody that buys a rack. If you're a first time rack buyer or whatever, the first thing you should buy with the rack is a soldering gun, soldering iron. We would call it something to melt holes in a tub. Every rack will come with tubs, and you need to put holes in them. Ventilation is a huge deal. Start with a few holes, see how your animal does in there, add if needed. But that's one of those tools that I think every reptile room should have is a soldering iron. And P.S. if you're going to do that, do it outside because it um, creates like toxic fumes. <laughs> it smells really bad. Just breathe them in. Mm, they're good for you. I mean, Darwinism, right? <laughs> so, and then the other kid, going back to the video, the, the video that hates on Aspen, the one that I found the most ridiculous was that he said Aspen will cut your animals open. It could kill them and cut them. And I I listened to that. And I thought, what the fuck is he talking about? Uh, if you've ever dealt with Aspen, it's fairly soft. It's not like you're holding needles here. It's fairly soft. And just to give you an idea, the other day, my Sambo gave birth to 26 babies on Aspen. Brand new babies on Aspen. Not a single one of them was cut open because they crawled through Aspen. So that one just shocked the ever-loving crap out of me. I think I, I slept through that part. part. You must have turned it off by then. Well, yeah, no, you got I tired of it. The video because I just there like the moment he started going on about how people were keeping retakes like ninety-five degrees, whatever the fuck it was, or some. He was oh saying something about respiratory infections. He said they get respiratory infections really, really easily. Because of Aspen. I was like, I'm like, what, where did you get this information? I was thinking maybe he's confusing one large breed or species with another, and maybe he was thinking of berm. Because they are more prone to respiratory infections, but it's not because of their bedding. It's kind of how we keep them in general and just their anatomy. I'm also going to say the only time he probably ever sees retics are when, again, he runs a side business where he has you ship your animals you don't want anymore to him and then he resells them so if he's getting in retics they probably weren't in the best situations to start with and it's not aspen's fault oh so yeah something yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. i'm just gonna mm-hmm. leave it at that mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyways that video again it's 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 not completely shit on the kid it is kind of shit on the kid uh, but Aspen is perfectly fine. It's been used forever. Is it the end-all, be-all bedding for everything? Hell no. And do you have to use it? No, but if you want to use it, understand it's perfectly safe. It's not going to kill your animal. Now, we, like you said earlier, we don't use pine or cedar because it's been ingrained in us. Pine and cedar have oils that cause respiratory problems. But, I mean, Aspen's fine. And, and, and if you're going to use Aspen... Don't go buy it off the reptile aisle at a pet store. Please just don't. Don't do that. That's gonna don't be do it. That's ridiculous. Walk three aisles over to the hamster aisle and buy you a big-ass bag of it that'll last you for months. Yup. I get mine at reptile shows. I get my bougie sandy chip from what reptile shows. Or, um, Aspen confetti? 
Yeah. <laughs> I get a huge bag because I don't have a lot of animals on it. So I get a, a huge bag. And, by the way, it sits in my closet and does not mold by itself. Um, but, yeah, it lasts me for a really good time. The old Aspen confetti. Mm-hmm. So we'll move on from that um, not-so-good video to one that I thought was kind of fun, which was the Freedom Breeder video where they did a tour of their facility. And and the reason I enjoyed that one is, is I'm just one of those that enjoys seeing facilities, reptile rooms, how other people do stuff, how things are put together. I love watching like uh, conveyor belts where you see something start at the beginning and you see it at the end and they, all the machine in between. I love that stuff. So in there, they showed you kind of the process of how they build their racks. And if you don't know what Freedom Breeder racks are, uh, they're they're the I don't know. They're the Cadillac of racks. Yeah, they're the Cadillac of racks. They. They, they are a little pricey, but they're pricey because they deserve to be. I mean, they're made out of stainless steel, uh, the best quality. They're they're awesome. They're not for yeah. everybody. So, you, you know, just because you can't afford one doesn't mean you're not keeping your animals right. But that, And doesn't mean because you can't afford them and you choose something else. It doesn't mean, you know, exactly anything. Um, the first time I saw them was in 2005, my first time at Daytona. I saw them in person, and I thought, I've got to have these. Uh, I still don't own one. I, I would like one. But then now I've got all my like black PVC racks and black PVC cages, and I'm like, it would just stick out like a sore thumb at this point. And I, I don't tend to be one of those that gets, you know, overly upset if something doesn't match. But I do like walking in and just seeing all of my black snake racks and cages. I am one of those that gets overly upset, and I have a like mix of things. I have all all black. Except for an old ARS rack that I have, and that is an eyesore to me. But I do want to switch to either ARS or Freedom Breeder, so I'm like, well, do I just switch everything? Or because like all my racks are, they're good. They're not. Nothing's wrong with them. It's just a, it's just that I'm crazy. Honestly, I have OCD when it comes to all that matching. Oh, thanks, guys. And those that don't know, ARS is is the comparable company to Freedom Breeder. I think are they, they're made out of aluminum, the framing, instead of stainless steel, maybe? Is that the difference? I, don't, I just know that like, ARS is, uh, uh, they're, it seems like they make smaller sized racks. Like, cause, you know, I always see Freedom Breeder, and it's, like, uh, gigantic as hell, which is cool. Like, that's sure. why these are more expensive, because you have you buy a hatching rack, and it's got 120 tubs in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then ARS seems to make a, uh, they'll make half sizes, so they'll have 60 tubs in one. Yeah, I was looking at ARS because they do the same tubs that I have for the, the Vision Boa tubs. The Vision Boa rack? Yeah. Yep. Dope. And I, I hate the Vision tub version of it because it makes this – I think I can probably make it sound for you. I'll do that one other time. But it's this terrible shrieking sound of the plastic on plastic. It's awful. And so I'm like, no, I'm done with this. And so I want to switch over to ARS. And I don't think Freedom Reader has one. Otherwise, I would have looked into it already. I don't I think, think they, they have do. I proprietary tub because that's why I think the FB80 and the FB90 are a thing is because of it's like the competitor to the Vision Boa tub. I just, I'm in love with these Vision Boa tubs, man, so I don't want to switch. I don't yeah, want to stay with them. Well, that's the difference, the difference between um, when you get to some of the bigger tubs. I, I really like the big Boa tubs. Like, the, not, the, not the one you're talking about, but like the four-foot on... Uh, on cat not casters, what am I thinking of? You know, they don't sit on a shelf. They don't sit on a, a ledge. They actually have the, the like drawer pools. It's like, like they're suspended, kind of, yeah, right? They, well, they have the drawer pools on the side of them, so they actually like move out really easy. They're not having to slide it against something. It's got those those drawer pools on either side of it to help 
uh, help it come in and out. And, and the, that's what Freedom Reader has, right? ARS has one, too. Okay. And it's got that little window in the front so you can see inside. That, that was the one when I first saw it in 2005. Being a boa person, I fell in love with just the way that looked. And, of course, I was like, imagine how many snakes. If I can get one of these, I can fit five, six, seven snakes here. And then I got older and realized you have to feed five or six, seven snakes. Like, it's expensive. Yeah, man. This rat bill just keeps getting bigger and bigger, I'm telling you. Well, that's... I just had I just made an order for pinkies because I was waiting for the first babies to be born and then I was like so I've got to order pinkies for these babies and then when I was last twenty six babies okay I'll order you know hundred pinkies and I realized that's only a month like I need to order two hundred and then order another two hundred and then another two hundred yeah, yeah seriously and that's like some I don't know like I'm not gonna say who I ordered from because like there's somebody I'm trying to be like kosher with I like them but. uh they have a pretty good shipping policy, and I ordered some fuzzies for this carpet python because I'm going to try to go back to my house with it. And, uh, yeah, still waiting. Still waiting. So, yeah, you might want to look into that house for sure. I got some pinkies. Plus, I'm waiting for these guys to shed before I feed them, so I'm good right now. But the Freedom Breeder video, I, I know the one thing that bothered April was Freedom Breeder, if you're listening, which I know they're not. But if you're listening, April will come out there and straighten up your shop for you and organize it. Because that was the one thing I was like, oh, man, can we just, like, label some shit and put all the same stuff in the right corner? And I mean, I know it works for them, but I was just like, let's just move this over there and move that over there. Like, like April's, like, OCD kicked in even with somebody else's place. Yes. And then April disappeared on us. Did you drop off call? I just realized, no, I muted oh. myself. I was talking oh, yes. to no one. Genius. <laughs> but yes, like, please, you can hire me as an organization consultant of yours. I will take care of all of that for you. You will never <laughs> miss any part ever. And then we'll reduce waste because you can do more, uh, you know, they, they talked a lot about having a surplus so that way people won't have to wait. But that causes a lot of waste and then ends up hurting a company. So I can help you with that, too, so you won't have as much waste and save you money. So, hire me. <laughs> April, God, you're triggered. You like my little bitch? <laughs> I talked about this before with you, April. The thing that impressed me, though, watching that video was seeing all the orders they have fulfilled that are waiting to ship. And that they've been around so long. And yet, there's, I mean, again, they're a top-of-the-line product. They're not what every person that buys a snake is buying. But the fact that they can still make enough sales to, they've, I mean, they've grown. They have more products now. To, it's impressive for the hobby, for them, for all of it, that there's still enough people out there buying it and that they're still being able to fulfill the orders. And that, I mean, ARS is doing the same thing. And then you think about the 5 million PVC rack people that have started to pop up. And there's a big, because now was, oh, that's one thing I did want to mention. I, between the last time we recorded this that none of y'all heard, and now, uh, I talked to Robert Powers, who's a listener of ours. He always comments on stuff. I've met him a couple times. He actually started a rack building uh, company as well. Ooh, nice. What area is he from? He's in Texas. And I'm going to pull up what the name of his company is because I don't want to lie to you. And I probably will lie to you if I tell you. <laughs> it's something Texas related. I remember that's like Lone Star. I don't want to lie. Robert, I, I apologize <laughs> right now. Uh, Lone Star Reptile. Racks. That's what it is. Lone Star Reptile Racks. Um, but Robert's awesome, and I just want to give him a little free plug because I like him. And 
anybody needs a rack in Texas, call them up. So, Heck yeah, yeah awesome. Free plug to Robert. But there's so many different rack and different uh, cage builders right now. Uh, it's impressive that the hobby has grown to, to be able to sustain a lot of these. Now there are some that come and go. Um, but like we're talking about Freedom Breeder or ARS, or like all my stuff is from Sea Serpents. Those guys have been around for a while, and they're only getting busier. And so, the, the thing that really impressed me was the innovation yeah. that they're always coming up, either adjusting their racks because of feedback they're getting from customers, or coming out with new things. Now, mind you, their cocoa shaker I think is ridiculous, but still, people have a need for that. Apparently, I am not one of those people. Nonetheless, people have a need for that, and so they made a product for it. I think that's great. If they make it and sell it. That's awesome. Yeah, the fact they have tubs that have, like, cup holders because so many people have issues with their animals knocking down over the water and it, like, flooding all the time. So they made something to fix that problem. I think that's really great, and that's, you know, the difference between businesses that are going to stay in businesses and some that are not and are not going to be as successful. Well, like, you have the uh, the hot box incubator from Sea Serpents. Mm-hmm. And I don't have one of those, but I've seen them over and over again. That's an amazingly built incubator. It is so consistent. I have that um, data tracker for my temperature and the thing that tracks the wetness in the air. (laughs) I have that in there, and I pulled it up, and it stays within a half a degree of what my um, stat is set to, which is, I was super impressed. I thought it would be more uh, up and down, but it's not. Yeah, for a box made out of PVC, I mean, it does an amazing job. Yeah, it's great. He's got the uh, built-in computer fans in there and the LED Mm -hmm. lights and that whole thing. Yeah, it's perfect. The thought process that went into that is amazing. And the I love it. So, yeah, the Freedom Reader video that got us to here, but that was a cool video. Go watch it. It's just cool to see that whole process and what they do. And uh, maybe if you want, you could order a Freedom Reader Rector. Like I said, they're really awesome racks. And I, I, maybe one day I will get one of those giant boa tubs that I've always wanted. Um, but that day's not today, so. I can't afford it today. So that's going to be a lot of, a lot of baby snakes later. And then maybe I can afford one, but they, uh, I know they ship, I think they ship, uh, assembled. Don't they? Like on a pallet. I have no idea. Honestly, I know they come like the pieces fit into each other. So I'm, I'm not, I don't know. I've never got much. I I can't tell you. I know ARS made what they call a hybrid rack, which ships to you flat. And then you have to build it. And I've heard, Interesting. I've heard that the building it uh, set aside a couple of days. It says like, <laughs> it says like four or six hours or whatever. But everyone he else, just made Ryan choke. Every, every video he said set aside a couple of days. days. Like every video I've seen of anybody that's had to put one together, it, it took a while. Um, but oh, with that said, God. I'm not bashing the product. It's an amazing product. Just understand, it's not going to be a plug and play kind of product. You gotta put the thing He's there. still recovering. Oh, oh that is so good. Watering. <laughs> Sorry, that just picture of like IKEA furniture like throwing the little <laughs> shitty wrench they give you James over like the fucking rack. <laughs> he throws the sandbox to on the wall. The, out. Uh, the video Kabilka put out I think it was last year the year before when he got got them. And, and it took them a while to put them together. Well, see, Emily and Ed looked like they had like a fairly easy time with their video, but you know, you can edit some shit together to make it look all right. That's true. Fast. So, all right, our next video, still talking about kind of housing and husbandry, was from Primitive Predators, and it's actually two videos: Primitive Predators, uh, 
put out two videos on them moving the tortoises from their old facility to their new facility. And some of you out there that watch a lot of YouTube may have seen our Watch Predator Predators or seen them on Camp Cannon's channel when he went there and checked out their equivalent, uh, Crocodilian new setup, which is amazing. What it is, is both places, the Crocodilian and the tortoises, the new ones are, they're greenhouses. But to call them a greenhouse seems like I'm underplaying it. It's about the size of a football field. It's covered. He can open parts of the ceiling to allow sunlight in, but still keep shade. Uh, obviously, being temperature, it's, it stays warm all year in there, even though he's in Florida, but it does get cold sometimes in Florida. It'll stay warm inside. And these tortoise pens that he made are amazing. They're lush. There's tons of grass. Now, granted, the tortoises haven't been in there yet, so there may will not be tons of grass in a month and a half. But the, it's just, it makes you look at it and go, damn, I'm not doing that. That's insane. I wish I could. Because that's, that's like a, a win the lottery kind of thing. Do you think that it would be beneficial as I've never owned a tortoise, so I have no idea. I can't answer this whatsoever. But to have like a grow out section, I guess like with horse pastures, yeah, they'll do that so it can grow back and then you let them go out and, you know, go. I, I would assume they eat it down to like basically nothing. Well, it depends. It, yes or no. If you have a big enough area, then the grass will grow fast enough to replenish, and they'll keep it short. It'll stay short, but it will grow fast enough. And so that's a matter of having a big enough area for whatever species you have. Mm -hmm. uh, but if it's not, then yeah, you'll want to rotate it. Like where I'm currently at now, uh, my tortoises, we have these uh, cattle panels that we've cut down uh, that we can move. And so we'll section off part of the yard, let them eat that down, and then we can move the cattle panels to another part of the yard. Let them eat that down so we can rotate back and forth. Uh, the new place that I'm hoping to have in a month or so, it's going to be a massive area for my tortoises. I don't think I'm going to have to do that because it's going to be, I think, like 50 foot by 40 foot. Uh, it's a lot of area. So they should be able to, the grass should be able to recover. But, yeah, it should be plenty of space. But I can tell you right now, Sulcata's eat a ton of grass. Yeah, well, he put like, I want to say six or seven redfoots. Was it hypo redfoots that he put in there? Yeah. And I'm just thinking, I mean, for one, when he said like 10 by 10 and I looked at what he was saying was 10 by 10, I'm like, that does not look 10 by 10. So I think what I was seeing on the, the computer screen as to compared to what it was in real life was very off. So my judgment of thinking that that space wasn't enough for seven, to, to, and I'm not saying not enough for the animal itself, but not enough for the grass to sustain itself. That's what I'm saying. Well, and the um, redfoots aren't – I mean, they, they do eat grass, but they're not as big of a grazer as, like, sulcatas. Yeah. They, they eat meat, right, too? They will, yeah. I've seen them eat yeah. mice. When I work at the zoo, I've seen them eat mice. Dang. They were saying – he was saying, too, that um, if, like, a raccoon was, was to die in the enclosure, that they would eat it, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they, they love protein. So, so interesting. So, I mean, I, I guarantee – with his redfoots, he's definitely feeding them more diet than grass. Whereas with the sulcatas, they're eating more grass than some sort of diet. Doesn't he, he has uh, black mountain tortoises too? Yeah, those are cool. Right? Yeah. Do those eat a lot of grass too? Because he had that with sulcata. So if it doesn't, then that would make sense to me. I was just I for, from someone that knows nothing about tortoise species or tortoise care, it just really got me like, hmm, I wonder if that's sustainable and will be easier if it's going to be a pain in the ass or not. For the black mountains, I don't know, just because they're such they're such a rare tortoise in the hobby compared to like a sulcata or a redfoot. Sure. But I mean, what he did put that sulcata in was a that was a pretty massive pin. I mean, probably had to be 30 foot across from front to one, you know, in one direction and probably 20 foot in the other direction. 
I was impressed with the old one that they had, and then they moved it up. I'm like, dang, look at you all. He's got, like I said, he's got a, a crocodilian set up that's very similar, which has a thing like a boardwalk down the middle, and then the, all these crocodilian pins on the sides with water holes. Oh, and that was one thing with tortoise pins. He had built those concrete pools with overflows that he could adjust the overflow, which I thought was really cool. Seriously, genius. I thought that was so cool. If you guys just, just watch the video just for that alone, if you ever want to do some indoor type of pond or wading type of thing, because if it rains... He has that overflow, and so it won't actually flood the, the enclosure, which is Here, awesome. Here's the only negative, and as, and as someone like yourself who has not dealt with tortoises, I can tell you exactly what's going to happen, though. They're going to poop? No. Well, I mean, yes, they are going to shit in the water. <laughs> but they're going to knock that overflow out of there. Mm. 100%. Because we used to have a giant, probably three and a half deep pool, four foot deep pool uh, for our aldabras and galops and Sulcatas were in there too at the zoo. And there was a big pool. I mean, they'd get in, float, swim, walk around, and it had a uh, piece of PVC that came up, and that was the overflow. You just pull the PVC out, and it drains the pool. Mm-hmm. Many times I would come in, and that pool would be empty, and the PVC is just laying there at the bottom of the pool. Uh, when you get big tortoises walking around, they knock everything over. Uh, so, the, I don't know if the Redfoots would do it, but I can guarantee you at some point that Sulcata is going to get in that pool, and he's going to have to put that overflow in there multiple times. So it's like genius, but within limits. Yeah, it's it's the only other way I would think that you could do it and make it work permanently is find some way for it to screw on. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Because um, that's the only way they could. But then you can't adjust it as much. Yeah. Yeah. Because this one, he just you know turned it. However, but then if if you after a while you're gonna figure out where the sweet spot is for that overflow anyway, so you could do something a little bit more permanent possibly. And if you had two drains, so you had one for overflow and then one for, like, a, a full drain out, then, you know, you could make that pipe a little bit more permanent. So That's just me thinking on the fly, so I, I don't know. It might not work out at all. <laughs> I recommend anybody, even if you don't keep tortoises, go check out Primitive Predators on YouTube and find the two videos that he just did on tortoises. I mean, just look at that place. I mean, it is – it's amazing. As someone that has tortoises, someone that's worked in a zoo, I mean, it's, it's insane. And the fact that it's it's inside of a greenhouse, so he never has to lock his horses up for the winter. Just close the roof, and they're fine. And that's. And did you did you talk about the the slits of sunlight? Yeah, where you could yeah you could adjust. There were multiple areas in the roof where it could slightly open it, allow sunlight in, and so the horses could move into the sunlight. But as the day as the day goes on, sunlight will sun will move, so that light will move across the yard. And so he talked about you know sometimes horses get in fights, they flip each other over. You won't have a tortoise stuck out under the sun baking all day long until someone comes along and finds it. Uh, as the sun moves, it will move past that tortoise. So that is one great safety thing. Just you don't have these tortoises flipped over sitting in the sun all day. Yeah, I thought that was really genius. So, yeah, I was just I was impressed by that whole thing. And once again, got me back to thinking, like, am I keeping my animals right? Like, can I do better? And really, yes, yes, I can do better. My retake and my berm, they're in an eight-foot cage. Can I do better? Yes. So it's like goals for when I get a bigger property and be able to build out something specifically for my big, big ones that I have. That's exactly what I was thinking about. Yeah, right. So like for my retic, you know, I want her to have the possibility to climb a tree and, you know, be out in the branches if she wants to. And have like a water feature type of thing that you that's sanitary to where I can easily drain it. And easily, you know, clean it out and everything. So kind of like zoo quality-esque, but just to 
make sure I, I give her those things that in the wild I know she would actually do and use. So. Well, I know Ryan's talked about wanting to build. Wasn't you that wanted to build like an outdoor enclosure during the warmer months? That's that's lots of you were mentioning greenhouses. And I'm like, like, damn! Imagine if you could build a greenhouse that was like escape proof. You could just literally have them out there for not like because where I live, it's in the winter would still the, the ground would get too cold and everything. But you could have even like some from say like where you go May to you know for me anymore, it's middle of October. Like, that's a wide range. You could build if you build a true greenhouse out there, and then build a cage with inside the greenhouse. You could do you know. I've seen before people have done with the tortoises, they build a greenhouse, they build a walkway down the middle for themselves, and then there are doors leading into little areas around the greenhouse so they can come in during the winter and they can winterize in there. And so you could do that, and you just put, um, you put there's, there's heaters they make for greenhouses. You just put a big heater up in the middle of it, it heats the whole inside. You can leave them out there year-round, even in the winter, even, even when it's snowing and it's negative whatever outside. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, James, if you've ever seen the heating bill for a greenhouse when it's 10 degrees outside, you will never want to do that. Because <laughs> I've, I've, we had one, we had this, uh, the greenhouse I worked at, uh, our first eight were tropical. So everything in there, you could they stayed at about 78 to 85-ish. And most time of year in the summer, it was unbearable. The summer, it was 98 with 100% humidity. It literally would just drip water all day in there. It was terrible. But... Watch, getting those to operate at 75 in the wintertime when it was 10 degrees outside it was horrendous the heaters never kicked off I, uh, that's, I feel bad for my tortoises in the winter but I built a decent sized barn for them it's 8 foot by 4 foot uh, and there's 4 of them in there they fit in there fine and I run it a uh, oil filled radiator style heater attached to a thermostat but there are, there are periods in the winter, even though it's Louisiana, we still get freezing temperatures. So there's periods where maybe for two weeks they don't get to come outside, or for a week. So they're locked inside, but it stays at least in the 70s inside there at all times. Um, but what I will do is if it does get, say, in the 50s during the day, I'll open a door so they can come out and lay in the sun. Because they can warm their body up more than 50 degrees in the sun. So they do get to come out sometimes like that. But yeah, I, I hate... I hate having to lock them up. I see some people, though, that let the tortoises come in during the winter and then free roam the house. And I've talked about it before. That's just nasty. It's just gross. I feel like there could be so much potential for interior destruction. Oh, yeah. It's not potential. And poop everywhere. They're going to destroy everything, and they're going to shit everywhere. They're going to poop everywhere and, like, dig out of my wall or and, something. And I don't some know. people put diapers on their tortoise. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you? First off, that's I've nice. never seen that, and I'm glad I've never seen that because... It's just, it's oh, smush, my God. It's going to smush the poop all up against them. It's they're still going to poop just because you put a diaper on them. Now, it's just going to make a mess that you have to clean up off the tortoise instead of off the floor. So People with pet monkeys that have to put them in diapers, like, I'm just like, why Why do you even have a pet monkey? Like, just, well, that's a whole other tangent, but I'm like, what the hell? There was uh, one of the zookeepers I worked with. She was always the, the monkey person. Whenever we'd have monkeys, she would be the one that raised them. She's always raised them. Um, I'll tell you what. It, you have to ba- you have to baby proof your house, but not only baby proof it, you have to baby proof it from floor to ceiling. Whereas with normal babies, right. baby proofing around the floor area, it's floor to ceiling. Um, the, for my first time visiting our zoo, I was coming here to visit. I had the job, but I was coming to visit before I moved here from college. And my zoo director walks me around, and she was actually uh, the woman who takes care of the monkeys was leaving the hospital to head home, so she had gone and actually grabbed the baby monkeys to take them home with her. She took them home every night, and. I walked back there with my director, 
and she's there on the little golf cart, and there's these three spider monkeys, and all I had ever, the zoo I had come from had spider monkeys, but all I knew about spider monkeys was don't fuck with them, uh, they're super strong, they'll bite, uh, don't mess with them. Well, like, spider monkey jumps up on my shoulder, and I freeze. I was like, I was like, oh, 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 what do I do? Like, it's fine. But yeah, they're like little babies. They're just little babies that can climb on your head. Uh, Someone on my, my Facebook page, uh, I think Eric Bogle has a, a lemur, a baby lemur. It is so freaking cute, and it is wearing diapers, and it's got that's, that's fine. <laughs> I'll tell you but with monkeys. He has this one video. This is total tangent. He has this one video where they have, like, ropes and stuff in one of the rooms so that the little baby can climb and all this stuff. And he's climbing on the rope, and he's videotaping him from, like, down below. And then the baby just, like, lets go and jumps on him, and Eric freaks out. It's the funniest thing. You'll have to go go find it. It's so funny because he's just like, oh, my God. It was just so funny. The reason they have to have a diaper on monkeys is because monkeys have this amazing ability to shit liquid at any given time. I'm serious, like any time they get freaked out. Oh, I, under- I understand that. And so like catching, catching monkeys fucking nightmare. Cuz as soon as they go above you I, like, I don't know, I wouldn't want to have a monkey in my house. They, oh. <laughs> it's way worse than a bird. <laughs> Make a bird people look sane. You know what? I do want a monkey. No, you don't. No, you, no, you don't. I, I've seen what it takes to care for one. No, you don't. <laughs> Alright, so, back to reptiles. So, the Primitive predators. go check out that video. Check out a bunch of his videos. Check out this whole facility. The crocodilian thing is amazing. Um, yeah. And then, we're gonna skip Pat. We did have a video from Megan on, but we're gonna have Megan on next week. So, we'll talk about that video next week with Megan. <laughs> and then... I know, Ryan. We ta- she talked about you fangirling her. <laughs> yeah, I probably did. <laughs> yeah, Ryan, Ryan funny. is one of the ones that is upset that we don't have a Megan uh, podcast. I don't think interesting. I was ge- first off, I genuinely forgot about it. Then you said last night that audio was messed up, and then I went through like a whole morning period. <laughs> it was a good one too. It'll be a good one next week. No, it won't. It's, it's, it's like, like it's like Big Daddy. Daddy. You know, you ruined the first prize. <laughs> It'll be all right. We'll talk about her cool albino anacondas. It'll make you happy. Yeah, well, it's it's like just anacondas in general that are cool. It's like, it, what inference do you have anacondas? Not much unless it involves her. Alright. This is true. Moving past the anacondas, which we'll talk about next week. So tune in next week for anaconda talk. Uh, another thing I saw <laughs> was from Uwabami Reptiles, which is from our buddy Billy Hunt, who we had on a few podcasts ago. Uh, but he had put out a blog post this week that said, why are you breeding? And the reason I'm bringing that up is because he mentioned us. He mentioned our podcast and things that we talked about. We talked about uh, why certain people or when certain people should breed. Uh, it's okay to own an animal and not breed it. It's okay to own an animal for 10 years before you breed it. You know, to, to get to understand that animal. That's what we talked about in his blog. He talks about, uh, and we talked about on the on the podcast, too many people jump straight into a species with plans to breed immediately as soon as possible oh, God. and yet they've never kept that species they don't know any of the pitfalls or anything that call, you know they, they they think they've got it because for the first you know three months they've been able to take care of it just fine um you know billy has been keeping since 2000 i can't remember what he said early 2000s and he didn't breed and produced his first clutch until i think 2016 
Yeah. I kept for a long time before I bred. It's so I think that's one important thing. I think people need to discuss more and more. You don't you you don't have to breed right away. There's a lot. You of don't have to breed period. At all. Yeah. Which again, I've talked before. It's it's it sounds messed up because we breed. It's the most dangerous thing you can do for your animal. It is. Well, and I've mentioned, I can't stand when somebody just picks up two Craigslist animals and goes, all right, I'm going to breed them. What? Okay, first off, the problem there is that usually they're not a, you know, a plus. They're not a good specimen and a good uh, showing for breeding quality most of the time. Uh, You sound like you drink IPA right now when you said that. They're pretty <laughs> shitty. We'll say that. <laughs> that's that's a, like, <laughs> well, like, I've seen that... people get two bow, like two boa constrictors that they picked up from someone who didn't want anymore. Two common boas, and I love boas, but in my mind, I know what a good looking boa is. Is and I know what a shitty boa is, and I've seen people get shitty looking boas they picked up off Craigslist and go, "I'm gonna breed now." The world doesn't need shitty boas. We just don't. We we've got plenty out there. We don't need a surplus of shitty boas. I just really hope the people that breed genuinely love the species that they have and that they're keeping. You know, like you genuine, you love the wild type look of whatever species you have and you think that that's beautiful and you want to just bring out the best in the animal because with breeding and selective breeding, you can't, you know. And that might not be everyone's breeding goal and that's fine, but my point is I really hope people, their their first I guess, I don't know, passion or whatever. Uh, I hate I hate using the word passion. But that they really do appreciate the animal for what the animal is in its wild environment, the wild type of the animal, and not just because they think that they can make dollar signs or they saw someone else that can make dollar signs. That's my hope. I think it's very jaded for me to think that that's what people do, but I'm going to put that out there. <laughs> I really, really hope that that's... And it gets said all the time that if you're going to breed, be prepared to be stuck with all the babies you have. And, and yes, that is something you have to prepare for. But at the same time, part of you going, that doesn't ever really happen. There's a way to get rid of. Yeah, it's called wholesaling. I, look, <laughs> I posted a picture of my baby boas on Facebook in a group yesterday. It was the first picture I posted of them. They were a day old. I got a message asking if I'd wholesale them. Like, oh, sure. I was like, Nah, I told the person. I, I, I don't get mad. They want me. To, I, I've got a buddy who has a pet store. He wants to wholesale them also. But I'm like, I do enough reptile shows that I know I can get what they're worth instead of having to wholesale them. But some people don't, and so we don't want to go through that trouble. And wholesaling is a great way. Go to a show if, if you if you produce a litter or whatever. Go to a show. Find somebody, some of these resellers, some of these pet shops. Say, hey, look, will you buy these off me? They will, but don't get upset when you see someone have one on a table for. 150 bucks, and the person offers you $40 per... I actually, I wholesaled my very first clutch of corn snakes back in 2014. I ended up wholesaling them to Triple L. They uh, paid, I think, 10 bucks a snake. Yeah. That was it. <laughs> so don't think you're going to make a lot of money from it. <laughs> they're, they're taking them off your hands. So that was my thing. I was like, I, I'm not going to wholesale any of these babies right now because I, I know I can sell them. I can sell them at the price that they should be sold at. But at the same time, if someone out there, if you do produce, if you do want to breed, make sure you have a plan. Maybe line up somebody who does wholesale, who does buy. And if you're okay wholesaling animals and you just want to breed for the fun of the genetics or to see what you can get, 
I understand that. Make friends with someone who can help you out once the babies are here. And I'm saying also, because you were talking about the person who's like getting two Craigslist animals, and I literally have a really good friend who's he, he's doing that now. He it's literally... annoying. That's cringeworthy. It is. Because his thing, he like, he mentioned, like, yeah, I don't want to get into breeding. I was like, cool. And I literally sent him, like, a million different podcasts and books and blogs and shit. And then he immediately goes, he goes, he's got these two bows off morph market from a guy. He told me I could breed them and make, make X amount of dollars a year. You know what they are, James? Yeah. Are they just like albinos or normals? Oh, uh, there's there's a jungle and a normal. Well, great, he can make fifty percent of them jungles, and the other fifty percent will be normals. It's amazing. It's he'll, yeah, he'll, it's, he'll make he'll hundreds it, of dollars. And that's why I, I, I was telling him, I said I'm, I mentioned the other day because he came over to hang out and he was like, talking about it again. And uh, I was like, so what are you gonna do if you can't sell them? And he's like, what do you mean? Yeah. I'm like, oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> And that's the thing I always have to tell people when people mention that. And I'm like, I'm like, what do you do if you can't do this? Because he was the cat for a long time. He got that stimulus money. He was going to go find Anaconda. And I think some Anaconda people told him to go you know, pound sand because he ne- never had kept anything like that. Yeah. And eventually he was like going around and around trying to He's just, he's somebody got these bows now. He's going to be a reptile breeder and all that stuff. And I'm like, what do you do if you can't? I'm like, what do you do if, you know, for example, the anaconda, like, what do you do when it gets big? And he's like, well, I build a cage for it. I'm like, well, how do you feed it? Like, look at the price of feeders. Look at how much a rabbit costs. You know, and it's one rabbit every three weeks or so. I'm like, what do you do if you can't? Because, like, you know, it happens all the time, especially right now. Like, everybody who's trying to sell stuff probably before this virus hit and slowed everything down. Like, who else sit on animals right now? I know some breeders that have sold everything, but they can't ship. So now they're feeding uh, some some retic people are feeding an adult mice to a baby every day or every week. And it's been on five weeks now. And when you have 300-something hatchlings... It adds up. Well, I mean, your, your buddy's talking about breeding these two boas. So let's say he breeds these... I'm just giving an example of how this works for anybody out there hadn't bred. He's got a jungle, and he's got a normal. Jungle is a incomplete dominant gene, right? Because we don't... There's no co-dominant, yeah. even though we say co-dominant. Good, good. It's incomplete dominance. Meaning that 50% of the offspring are going to come out looking like a jungle. Which, again... And in jungles, the problem is there's such a wide variety of what could be a jungle. So some will be high expression, low expression, and then you got a whole bunch of normals. He's probably going to get 75 maybe 80 bucks for a normal boa on a good day. If he's selling to a, a pet owner instead of wholesaler. A wholesaler, he's going to get 30 bucks probably a boa. The jungles, he's going to get 120 maybe on a good day. Now he's got to feed them. And if he's responsible, he's going to at least get four, maybe five meals into him before he feeds them. So that's a month and a half after they're born that they may be ready to sell. But he's got to feed all of them. He's probably going to have a litter of maybe 16 to 20 of them. That's a lot of money right there. And then he's got to be in the right situation to sell them. So here's the thing. If you're you're nobody, like, you're not going to sell. You're you're not. You're going to wholesale them. Because this thing, you come out with. You're like, oh, I've got two normal ball pythons, or I've got you know an albino and a spider, and I'm gonna cross them. Like, I have worked so hard networking, and my Facebook page has over ten thousand followers, and I still do not sell out immediately. And I've been working my ass off. My litter of sun glows, and I'm gonna toot my own horn. I thought they looked amazing. It still took me a year to sell them all. That was yeah, and that, that's the reality because. As, as a buyer, I'm not going to buy from someone that I don't know 
And if I do, I'm going to ask everyone I know about that person if they know them and know their reputation. Because if they don't care for the animals in a way that I, I have certain standards of care, if they don't hit that standards, I'm not going to want to buy from them. You know, and everyone, everyone should have that, you know, who they want to buy to and who they don't. I'm sure I'm on the list from some people that don't want to buy from me and that's fine, but you have to have your standards mm-hmm. and you're just a nobody. I'm, I mean, not to say that I'm not you know, generalizing if you, if you just came into the hobby and I have no earthly idea who you are, or how you keep or your ethics, I'm not going to want to buy from you. Well, and he bought these boas. I haven't seen them. I don't know how they look. But if it's not a great-looking parent, it probably won't have great-looking babies. And so, uh, eh, boa is going to take a while to sell. Mm-hmm. Especially if you know, they think, I'm going to go to, you know, he breeds this first clutch, or litter of boas. I'm going to go do a reptile show. That's great. You're going to pay 100 to 150 bucks for the table. All right, you got to get there. It's two days there. If the reptile show is not in your hometown, you have to pay for a hotel. So there's the money right there. And then you've got to sell against everyone else in there. And trust me, someone else in there breeds boas. And they breed boas to look pretty. They didn't just breed boas because they got two of them off the internet. Or a, or a pet store or a flipper will yeah, slash your ankles out from under you. So I just, I, I think people. I know people walk into a show and they get these just rose-colored glasses look to everything's going to be amazing. Look at all this money these people are making. When you walk into a show, you got to understand vendors aren't making a ton of money. Very few of us are making money. Uh, when I do a show, I chalk it up purely to this weekend's going to be a vacation and I'm going to lose two to $300. Like, but it's a vacation for me to hang out, do all this stuff, and whatever I sell, that's awesome. But you can't go, all right, I'm going to go do this show, and I'm going to make 500 bucks this weekend. I mean, I've, there's been plenty of shows where I've sold nothing. I think that depends, too. Like, I think like you would be more in the hobbyist group, and then there's people that do that like as their business, and they're going to think of it totally different. If they lose money, right, if they lose money, it's not worth it to them. No, that's a completely different world. That's not someone who's buying off the internet, though. That's not someone who has this... Uh, grandiose idea that if I just get these two snakes, I can make money. When you go into a show and you see the tables where they have, you know, 20 displays, three tier displays, full of snakes, the amount of money they've invested into that business in the first place is insane. And they didn't just go to Craigslist to find their animals that they breed. You know? Can you say display again? Display. Okay. <laughs> I feel like you emphasize the dis part a lot. Display. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's that's one thing. When that's another thing that kind of drives them. They go to these shows and they see that guy selling his whatever animal for a very good price. You're not that guy. Like you said, it, it's a name thing. It's a you got to build a name in here. And just because you produce an animal, we said it before, you can produce an animal that's just like that guy's animals. But you're not that guy. You can't ask the price that, that guy's asking. I mean, you can. You just probably won't get it. Dude, speaking of amazing animals that happen to have hatched, have you seen Matt Minotola's extreme marble clutch that hatched yes, this week? With the bright red heads on them? Uh, I don't think they have bright red heads. Their pattern is just like funky and crazy. They look insane. They look absolutely fucking insane. Yeah. They have like very orangish heads or something. Uh, it's their it's 
more the wackiness of their pattern itself. It, I wasn't looking at the orange head if they have extremely orange heads. That's definitely not what I was looking it's at. the only clutch he's had, right? Has he had more than one clutch? I think so. I think so. But I have, I have a, a sibling to one of his extreme marbles that looks like that. And then he bred an extreme to one of them in that clutch that wasn't it didn't have that pattern, and that all came out. So that gives me so much hope for what I have. I'm like, oh, this is gonna be so good. Oh my god, I'm so excited. Because they've got such a busy background. It's not like it's not their normal pattern. It's uh, it's like, it's like the marble comes comes up all the way. Normally, normally on like low expression or what you've seen in the past, that pixelation is more just on the sides, so like closer to the the belly. And he just selectively bred, and it has just. Made that pattern so crazy and just so nutty. I'm gonna show my age here, uh, for folks my age and older. It's like when you used to flip the channel 99 as a kid and it was fuzzy. It looks like that. You know it was on channel 99 as a kid. All over the snake. It is so cool. Except, except you don't hear any moaning when you look at them. But it looks like that. It's all. What? All what? You don't. You never flipped the channel 99, Ryan. <laughs> you, said, you said there's no moaning. I was like, what? I know. He had to catch up real quick and figure out what exactly you're talking about. Like we just had the TV grab on Channel 99. Like that was when you waited until like if like you were looking for like like I think this what's on Discovery Channel. If you passed Channel 38, you had to wait until it goes all the way around again. Channel 99 was wavy. The picture was never clear, but you heard lots of moaning and screaming and oh my gods. And then you had to. I don't know what's going on here. What is with him today? And then you had to quickly flip the channel when your parents were coming in the room. I can't. Oh my god. What's wrong with you? Look, yeah, what is wrong with you that's today? Fine. I'm telling you right now, someone's going to listen to this podcast and go, oh, no, I, I know what that looks like. You'll well, know what that looks like. Oh, man. It's really neat. And so, kudos to him, man. It's awesome, awesome work. But that was selectively breeding years and years and years of working with that specific species. He loves those snakes, and it does not matter. Like, those are priceless to him. He doesn't care if he holds on to all of them. I'm surprised you know? he's even selling them. I'm really surprised he's even selling them. I don't know if he's going to sell many of them. Yeah, I know. Cause I, <laughs> I talked to him at Tinley when I first met him in 2018. Um, yeah. Because that's what the extreme marbles, I see most of my tin foot. I was like, what is that? Exactly. And that one that he always brings to the show, huh? Yeah, and I did the whole, uh, that's a crazy blood python. And he's like, no, come here, hold on, shut up, listen to me. Gave me the rundown and seeing those, because he had, I think he had some other ones at his, at his place when we went to Carpet Fest. And you're just like, Jesus Christ, these are crazy looking. Yep. And then I asked him, I said, how much, you, I mean, how much are those for, uh, for sell for? And he looked at me laughing. He's, 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 he goes, nah, man, these ain't for sale. He's like, no, they're not going anywhere. Yep. But he fits that, that mold we are talking about. Just because just because Joe Blow picks up two blood pythons and makes babies, Joe Blow is not Matt Minnetola. You know, <laughs> Matt Minnetola is going to price his snakes at what he prices them at, and he's going to get the money for them because he's put in the time. And the two snakes that he bred together, I guarantee, look better than the two that you bred together, whoever you are. And, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 just, that's the thing with breeding. I don't have a problem with people breeding as long as they, they do it properly. As long as they are doing it for quality. I'm tired of seeing ugly animals. And I'm sure people are going to go, I love the animals no matter what. Fuck you. I love snakes no matter what. But we know what an ugly one looks like. Like, we whatever species it is. You know when you walk into a show, go, oh, that's an ugly one. Like you know that. Well, you you also have to you know, like the, like a lot of people want to get into stuff. For example, like uh, ball pythons, uh, crested geckos, and crap. 
where they're like they see the like they see Tiki's get good or they see Brian Barczyk or whatever and they're like oh I can make all this money doing it and then they go into it and then like they may not even have like the full passion for a species like for example like I mean you gotta have full blown passion like Matt Minotola to commit I think he's probably got 10 plus years in that project yeah for sure and then I'm sure he got shit on a lot during that time. Where people were like, what are you doing? Sell off all those peaches, so get you this tri-stripe and everything and make all kinds of money. And he's like, nah, I'm going to stick with these things. And you grind it out. And it's like people, they want to like, do like the boa thing. Right? They're like, I'm going to sell these and make these morphs. And it's like, uh, you know, you better be ready to really like those animals. Because one, they'll probably kick you in the nuts about three times before you ever are successful. Well, like, I have no problem with someone wanting to breed albino boas. You know, something that's common. Or just, hell. Normal boas, but make sure that you're doing it for quality. If you're if you're going to breed a normal boa, breed the prettiest normal boa you can possibly produce. That's go. If you're going to breed blood pythons, just plain bred blood pythons, make sure it's the prettiest one. If you're not going to do any morph, it's fine. But we don't need more shitty looking animals when we're just trying. We're trying to improve the hobby, and that's what drives me nuts. I just I can't stand seeing people again just breed random stuff just because they have a male and female. Or the other thing. This is the other thing that pisses me off on Facebook. That Facebook reptile group. You see someone post, what y'all got? And that's all they post. What's for sale? Not- I'll do that to my friends that are breeders and I know they're not showing everything that they have. <laughs> that's different. That's different. This, I'm talking about a post in a general reptile group. Like, well, there's a Louisiana reptile group. And someone will post, what's for sale? Not what ball python, what blood python, what monitor, what what's for sale. And they just want to know whatever reptiles are for sale, and that's how they're going to buy their next reptile. I'm like, that's not how this shit I works. don't even entertain people like that. I yeah. I don't answer stuff like that. I'm like, you've made... As a seller, you can choose. Yeah, yeah, that's awful. And I see it all the time. It pisses me off. If people get upset when you're like, that's not how you shop for reptiles. And they'll get pissed off. I'm like, go figure out what you want, then come back and ask if anybody has that. Like, let me give you some reptile etiquette. Because what what do you have for sale? Leopard gecko? Okay. Rattlesnake. There's a drastic difference there. They can both be for sale. But, I mean, like, what do you want? So, that, that drives me nuts. Anybody out there, don't do that. that, that don't do that. It's annoying. Hey, James, what do you got? What you got? <laughs> What's for you, sale? You, you sell snake? <laughs> I love the ones where the sentences are... There are some of them where the grammar is so bad, I'm like, no, I just can't. We're, nope, go away. There's a little reptile form, and uh, you see those every now and then, and it's, it's, it's like, it's like, sell snake? And someone's like, are you trying to sell a snake, or are you looking for one for sale? Like, can you please clarify, what's going on here? I'm confused. <laughs> that's Kentucky. They may not be able to form a complete sentence. No, that's Louisville. God love them. They're a whole new kind of... They're educated and dumb. <laughs> and then, uh... Oh, the last thing I had on here for social media, we talked about Ulubong Reptiles, this blog post, the last thing was, I, it may have been in Simply uh, Snakes group or in the Constrictors group, someone posted about, is it okay to refreeze rodents? And the after you thaw them out to feed them, the snake doesn't eat, can you refreeze them? And I know what I expected to see is the answer, because just like with the aspen and the pine and cedar, you know, pine and cedar are bad, we've going for years, the answer is always no, it's ingrained in our heads. Well, I saw this, can I refreeze my rodents? I expected to see a whole bunch of no, 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 no. And then I started seeing a whole bunch of yeses. It's fine. I do it all the time. Go ahead. And I had a slight aneurysm. I'm like, <laughs> no. 
There's so many problems with that. I, I get that, yes, you refroze it. You thought it out. You fed it to your snake, and nothing happened that time. But, but what if it did? Like, that's it's not worth the $3 you spent on that rat to lose your animal. And so, I, I just need people to understand, don't refreeze shit. Throw it away. Don't. I was told you can refreeze it once, but after that one time, you shouldn't. I was, I was told that a long time ago, too. I not that I have, but... Well, I was told when it thaws out, uh, the problem is once it gets warm, you know, bacteria growth can start. And when you freeze it, freezing doesn't always kill all bacteria. It'll stop it from growing, but it doesn't kill it. So that when you bring it back out and thaw it back out to the temperature again, bacteria will grow again. So, Well, the second it's thawed, like not frozen anymore, it's decomposing. Yes. yes. You know, and the smaller prey animals are going to decompose faster. You can even smell them and be like, oh, geez, like what? So you know that that's probably happening even on larger prey animals that may not decompose as fast. You know, there's still some level of it in there. And then you have, you know, the possibility of transmitting disease to other animals unless you only have one snake. You're like, I'm going to freeze this for my one snake. Like, I wouldn't – I know, James, you do, and it's not a hit on you at all, but just what I've gone through with my collection, I'm not going to give one snake a prey item they don't eat and then give that to another one. Yeah. Like, to me, that's just gone, and that's, you know, how it is, because I don't want to transmit anything that one snake possibly could have. And I get that. And, 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 I, and I've said before, I do it to the extent of I don't do it for someone's in quarantine. Uh, if something is in quarantine and it doesn't eat, that, that food gets thrown out. Nothing nothing that leaves my room for that goes to the quarantine part of my house comes back to my room. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, if I've got, I mean, I've got some snakes, like, you know, if I'm feeding Samboas. And one Samboa and the rack doesn't eat, yeah, I'll, I'll give the mouse to another Samboa. It's just, uh, you know, everyone, and I know you don't you don't feed them, but everyone has that animal at the garbage disposal. Uh, if you have, you know, several snakes, you always have that one where you're like, this damn thing won't eat anything. And that's the only way I do is I feed it out to something else. But but I also get not wanting to do that. And yes, that is probably the far more responsible thing. I mean, I used to do it. I used to feed it in parts. Like, I would do the, like, one day on Friday, I would feed the animals that may or may not eat. And then if they didn't eat, I'd give it to the ones that I knew would eat. And then feed the rest of them on Saturday because I knew I wouldn't waste anything. But, like I said, I've gone through through some shit here, and that is no longer something that I do. See, I just looked at it from, like, the point of view, like, even, like, once you thaw it and rodent out, it's, like, it's... D-U-N, like, there's no point in you trying to, like, rephrase it, because, like, for some people, they even, they're even heating them up. You're like, right, you, yeah. You, you put it on a heat pad, or I've seen one where they put it under a heat bulb. Uh, I used to, okay, so I don't do it anymore, because it's so pain in the ass. I used to have a pot. It was, it was for only this, but it was my de- de- thaw, uh, defrosting? Yeah, my thawing pot, I was going to say it. But I put all the frozen rodents in a Ziploc bag, I put them in the pot of water, put them on the stove, and turn it on low. The only problem is sometimes low wasn't low enough, and it would get very warm. Oh, God. And, and if you've ever fed a rodent um, that has been warmed up that method, you understand that the skin becomes very, very easy to break. And when you're feeding uh, strong feeding response animals, it, it can get messy. I think the best method is throwing them in the microwave. That is the best. Let's stop. <laughs> Don't say that. Someone will do that. Put it on five minutes and it'll be great. <laughs> no, you put it on the de- on defrost. You put it on the seven minutes. Right? You put it on the steak setting. You 
uh, which well, the best way to do it is you take, and I know they're hard to find, but you got to find the old school. You got to find a CD, and you put the the rodent on the CD, and then put it in the microwave. Yeah, yeah that's like instantly. instantly. Yep. Go see the light, light show in the process. process. Yeah, it's great. It's fun <laughs> for the whole family. Uh, possibly the fired men coming. <laughs> As soon as I heard you say that, I'm like, no, someone will do that. Okay. <laughs> just, just in case anybody out there is like, please don't put your rodents in the microwave. They will explode. Don't do yeah. that. But the great part frozen is... Rats, oh. Frozen rats are bad. Hamsters are okay. Oh, my gosh. Go to any frozen rodent uh, website and go to their FAQs, Frequently Asked Questions page, and it's got some of the best questions. One is, can I defrost it in a microwave? No. The other one I always find fucking amazing is, Will it come back to life? Seriously? But people ask it. People ask it, will it come back to life? And in case anybody out there is going, well, will it? No. No, it won't. No. What is wrong with people? No. When I've, I've when it's done stupid things, too. That's so funny, though. Well, it's, uh, I also, like, uh, people talk about the refreezing thing, and I've seen people start saying yes, whatever. Like, yeah, you can refreeze it. And I don't think they understand that, you know, you talk about the bacteria growth. So you thaw it out. Some people heat it up. They put it out. And then, you know, it's, it's as soon as it's dead, it starts breaking down decaying, mm-hmm. and then you, when you heat it up, you're accelerating this because the heat will accelerate the decay, break decay. That's why some road companies actually flash free stuff, which that's a whole other science. Like I, got, I went down a major rabbit hole last night, watched like an hour and a half of like flash freeze videos. Why that's important? That was crazy. <laughs> Well, cool. But, Maybe but, you can share with us sometime. <laughs> but it's it's like why was it important? Well, well, it's because of water crystals. Think about it. We're all made of water. So you're made of sweet tea and moonshine, okay? But uh, moonshine, I'd be you. True, but it's like super crazy because like they, like you know we're all made of water. So whenever you freeze, the water expands and it starts rupturing cell walls and everything. So the concept of flash freezing is that you lower it to a certain temperature so fast that the water freezes but it doesn't have time to expand so you're not having the cell wall rupture and so when the cells are rupturing and stuff it also increases the rate of decay so basically you're saying they kill them and freeze them the same way they did Walt Disney yeah you pretty much mean you want to be able to put his head back on his little spider body (laughs) but so that's what's important so people are like oh I'm going to thaw it out and they heat it up and they're like oh the snake didn't eat whatever so they throw it back in the microwave no not in the microwave Ryan we have this conversation they throw it back in the freezer, so you're slowly freezing from you know the outside in. So the gut, the guts, and you know everything, your thoracic cavity is all just harboring all that warm air, and it's still growing and growing and growing bacteria and stuff. So it's just it's a bad bad time. Don't do it. It's a bad time. Yummy. I was just being like on those those Facebook posts where they say this is the greatest thing to do, and you know it's like the opposite, and it'll get you in big trouble. That's what it reminded me of when I said that. I uh, just like to entertain myself, you know. I just take my rodents out of the freezer. I put them in Ziploc bags. I put them in the fridge overnight, and then I set them out a couple hours before I plan on feeding, so they can be room temperature, and then I feed. I do my big stuff overnight, and then my small stuff I do a couple hours before I'm gonna feed. Yeah. That's just literally just lay stuff out and let it come to room temperature because I've done the water thawing and everything, and I'm, I'm just tired of cleaning out bowls full of mouse hair. I'm tired of it. Or you can buy the new rodent oven from Freedom Breeder. Really? Have you all seen that? That's a real thing, April. Yeah. No, I haven't seen it. 
but someone will buy it and it'll work great for them and I applaud you. <laughs> they have the, the, the rodent oven, which I don't... Some people swear that their snake only eats, you know, the the spotted black and white mice and they have to be at a certain temperature, otherwise their snake is not going to eat. So. so they're called ball pythons and they're broken. I just ordered rodents the other day and I asked anybody in my reptile group locally if they want to jump in on the order so Shay wants to save on Shay? Save on some shipping. And I have one person go, will you make sure they're white? My my, my uh, snake won't eat any black or brown mice. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. And they're like, look, I'll give you all of my black and brown ones when this comes in because my snake won't eat them at all. So I'm getting some black and brown ones from somebody because their snake won't eat them. My snakes aren't racist and don't give a shit. They'll eat both black or white. They hate both races. Mine are bougie like me and don't like dirty rats. Oh, you dirty rat. <laughs> Uh, but I think that's more just me and maybe, I don't know, maybe they, they catch on to my aura of anxiety. <laughs> Mine eats snake sausages, so it doesn't... Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Because Ryan feeds everything. He feeds fish, he feeds snake sausages, he makes some filet mignon with bacon wrapped around him. No, it's not bacon, goddammit, it's cheddar cheese. Get oh, your shit right. And you got the Pangea, right? Yeah, doing the Pangea supplements on rodents. Which one did you buy? I bought the fig and insect. That's one Brahms was going on about. He said he gets the insect blend ones. Hold on. Let me go get it. Let me look at it right now. I'm sure I'm not talking my ass. It has more, I would assume, more protein. I remember seeing rodent sausages for the first time, probably in 2005, when I went to Daytona thinking, yeah. who the fuck is going to buy a sausage to feed the snake? Fast forward to now. Cox. Cox is the one that's gonna buy a sausage to feed this. I got dumb bitch this, okay? Fuck off. <laughs> no, you're just open-minded and experimenting for yourself. <laughs> I, yeah, I got, the, I got the fig and insect blend, and it has like 20, 21% protein, 5% fat, 8% fiber, and then there's that ashiness and everything else. Moisture. Shit like that. Put a little lotion on it, it won't be ashy. Oh, dear God. All the different, um... Vitamins and stuff is listed in there as well. I'm guessing. Actually, I don't think it's listed on the back. Hold on, open it back up. So you're just gonna like wet a rodent butt and dip it in or something? Like, what you I, I'm just really thawing my rodents out and then throwing them in the water and then kind of doing that Brahms head because I tried one where it was soaking wet. I tried one where I patted it kind of dry. Yeah. And uh, yeah, don't leave it soaking wet. You'll still just have a, a bowl full of Pangea mix for a gecko. You put it into. <laughs> You put it into an egg wash, and then you put it into the powder, and then you deep fry it. <laughs> oh, okay. Tempura. <laughs> tempura wraps okay. your animals. But wow. not, so I'm just like, dumping, like, I'm like patting like the, you know, the ass end of it in there, and just feeding it off like that. See, my problem, trying it out. my original problem when I saw the snake sausages forever ago, or the food sausage, whatever, was the only thing I originally thought was, these are folks that wanted a snake, but they think it's too cruel to feed rats to them. And that's when I was like, you don't deserve to own a snake. But then as time went on, like now, I do know that they produce some of them that are lizard-based or quail-based or non-rodent-based things that you may not be able to get locally for certain animals, for certain snakes that don't want to eat, you know, rodents, mice, or rats. Or you get the frog ones. Yeah. For, for like, your hog nose and shit. That's cool. And so that, I get that. I just, I don't get the, like, if you buy just straight-up rodent in a tube and not feed just a rodent. I mean, if you have a 500-gram rat compared to a 500-gram snake, snake sausage, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> uh, I think you get, like, 
for like gram for gram more nutrients in the the sausage than you do the actual rat. I think. Well, that doesn't. I could be with, wrong though. That doesn't have to do with the rat. That has to do with more with what they're using because I think they're using like a young, very lean uh, rabbit. So it's because it's mm. the rabbit's the only rodent blend they offer. So you can get like rabbit and chicken, rabbit and quail, rabbit and frog, whatever the fuck it is. But rabbit, uh, you know, gram for rabbit. Rabbits. They're not rodents. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, yeah, they're not. They're not rodents at all. But gram for gram, they have the uh, most uh, vitamins, nutrients, and less less fat. I would assume, yes. especially if it's rabbit. They're, they're lagomorphs. From wow. Okay. They were lagomorpha. You're saying it wrong. I'm not saying it wrong. I'm just kidding. I didn't. I didn't even know if you were or not. I just wanted to see your reaction. I'm rewatching. I'm actually rewatching the show Psych, and so I wanted to say I've heard it both ways because that's what he always says on Psych. Got it. Oh my god. None of y'all ever seen Psych. You should definitely watch. Nope. It. You've never it's seen Psych. You nope. shut the fuck up, Ryan Cox. <laughs> that is one of the best shows that was ever made, and you're a horrible person. That's Trigger Dance Lewis. We found it. <laughs> yeah, you did. Uh, Tell Psych like it's subpar. Don't even say it's bad, say it's subpar. Shut up. Oh. <laughs> uh, Y'all, I just got on my Facebook a post from Selective Origins six hours ago. This is like hot off the press. Ooh. And he just hatched some T negative golden eyes that might have some karma and lilac in it. They look amazing. And this is just out of the egg. And if y'all know blood pythons, right out of the egg, they're pretty freaking ugly. Who is it? And uh, Selective Origins, Matt Turner. I like that a lot. Holy crap, man! So go to Selective Origins on their Facebook page, and they posted it. There's pinks and purples in it. Normally, if you have T-negative, it comes out yellow. Yellow on yellow, and you can kind of see the patterns and stuff. This is incredible looking. Okay, I'm going to need you to calm down just a little bit. I'm just telling you, like, when y'all were talking about something hey, else hey, earlier... Hey, hey, you're yelling. You're yelling, April. You can turn my sound down. <laughs> I'm very excited, obviously. Well, if I turn your sound down, it turns Cox's sound down. He's talking at a normal volume. I'm just very, very excited about this. They're okay looking, I guess. This is, like, this, this is my legit reaction, instant reaction to that. While you were talking, though, my jaw was, like, on, like, the ground. This was, like, 15 minutes ago that this occurred. As I'm looking at it, I was like, oh, my gosh. So they're, they're very, very pink and very creamy. That looks very good. Yeah, the problem is you don't know what they're going to look like until a year from now. Like, for good. their full they adult coloring, yeah. yeah. I guarantee that, you those look good. That's what I want to see is what turns red, what turns white, what is orange. Like, that's – but it's going to be a year, year and a half before you see all that. Dude, Dude, blood pythons are so cool because you have golden eyes from all these different breeders and they all look different. Or you have like 007s or whatever morph it is and they all look different. There's so much variation within the same genetics. It's so cool. Maybe that's because they're hybrids. <laughs> now, now he's triggering me. They're all hybrids. I'm, I'm going to come through this computer screen and slap you in the face. Blood pythons come from a large range. I'm telling you, there are probably multiple multiple subspecies. There's some hybrids going on, just like chondros. It's part retic. Nope. It's part retic. I see it in the face. I wish, I wish you all were part of the hybrid snake page. I think I used to be a while ago. It's a good time. I love that page. It's always a dumpster fire. And, uh, Somebody had one. It's like it's like look, we were making hybrids, and it was somebody apparently had bought a 
Uh, it looked like a yearling retic is the male, and then they had bought an adult an imported female blood python. And like they got home and they were breeding in the bag because they put them in the same bag. <laughs> and they were just I saw a picture in April, just like looking at it, like and just shamed at it, just like no, stop. Yeah, that that's a good time. I mean, some hybrids are really cool looking though. There are. Billy's Carpondros. I haven't seen them actually. Some of them. Some car. Well, his aren't Carpondros. He has Jagpondros. No, he had Carpondros too. Yeah, but he also has Jagpondros. Yeah, so but even more special than a regular green tree python. Hmm. I wish somebody would make zebra pondros. Like, here's the part of me, like, I'm like, like I'm gonna do it. I'm, I'm gonna bite the bullet. Then I'm, I'm like, nope. I'm not gonna lie. That, uh, that Brettles, that albino, so that would be a Darwin. Was it Darwin? No, not Darwin. I think it was a coastal. It was, it was a coastal albino hypo. Bred to a hypermelanistic bread lie, and then they kept the. Because he went over on Dave Coffin's video. Yeah, his yeah, latest yeah. video. Yeah, I saw that on Dave Coffin's video. Those look freaking amazing. Dude. I want that. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie, cause that, and then I've learned there are some dark lineages of red light in the states. I'm, there's been like the past five weeks. I'm looking at it very heavily. Like, I could get one. I, I could get. Well, I have a weakness for white and orange or white and red snakes, and those things are like neon orange. The only problem is though, like, think about how you breed them, because red light is super, super cold. Well, I don't even want to breed them. I just want someone to. I just want someone to sell me one that's already out buying. So that's all I want. Oh, so you want somebody, you want somebody to do the, do the, the, the eight years of work? Do the work. I don't, I'm not going to do the work. Look, I'm not hey, as long, long as you pay for it, you pay for all that work. No problem. Exactly. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> they're going to they're gonna ask 1500 I'm going to go, hey, will you take 500 bucks? And pay for shipping. It's kind of like when people, they, like they, they see the Superdorf recessives and they're like, I don't, I don't get it. Why is that albino $1,400 when I can get this one for Triple L for 150 and it's like because that one literally has 15 years of breeding into it to yep. get to that. You dumb bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> all right. So that is all my topics. Now it is time for April to give us a U.S. ARC recap, which has been very interesting this week. Yes, there's a lot going on. One, they have a new website, um, which makes sense. That's why I was not getting the most up-to-date stuff when I was looking at their website. <laughs> Oh, man, you have to uh, – you're asking way right, too much I'm of me. Google this shit because, because it's know. in the email. If you're on their email list, they sent out an email today about a new website. So I you tried can... to join the list, and it didn't, it didn't work. It didn't let you? No, I got to try it again. All I, right. It's, so... it's still usarc.org. They just changed the layout. Oh, well, then they're false advertising on their thingy. But nonetheless, um, it will be up to date, I'm assuming now. Because it wasn't before, and the most up-to-date information you could get was on their Facebook page or their email that they sent out. So on their email that was sent out on the 4th of this month, we have an Arkansas update that the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission had its first reading of the proposed captive wildlife regulations. A new public comment period is now open, and the expected vote on the regulations is going to be on May 21st. So additional comments to each proposal can be made, um, and then there are links to that so you can continue with the comments. So if you live in Arkansas, that's something that you are going to want to participate in. For Pennsylvania, the House Bill 2450 was introduced on April 27th. It uh, changes Title 34 
Basically, it is redefining exotic wildlife, and it actually removes several species from the current exotic wildlife designation, meaning that some species that currently are banned will be legal to keep. So this actually applies to mammals and birds only, but there's more information on that as well. We have uh, Oak Grove, Kentucky, and as of the 6th, they said that uh, the officials are actually listening to all the different comments that people are making. So keep doing that. And the second reading will actually be on May 19th. So by the time you listen to this, either they will already have that or will be having it in the next like 24 hours. Um, but keep your comments on that. And if you are in that area, um, you can get more information on their website or their Facebook page. Then we have Louisiana, which we talked about, and really, honestly, there's nothing new from when I talked about it last week, so I'm going to kind of go over that uh, later when we have more updates and something more exciting to talk about. Uh, but then we have a new alert for California, so if you are in California. Uh, it was introduced in 2019 as Iconic African Species Protection Act. And the purpose is banning sales and certain possessions of listed live animals or any pets, uh, taxidermy, ivory, etc. Um, and this was amended uh, a few weeks ago. They uh, put out a media statement a few weeks ago. So it's the amendments are including requiring the Department of Fish and Wildlife to ban the importation of certain species that may transmit disease to humans. So this, you know, is like COVID-19 repercussions all over it. Uh, and then prohibiting operation of a live animal market. Uh, that definition does not include reptile shows. Um, the reason this is on the alert is because of overreaching. And you know that if something is termed very generally, that they can then turn it on to us. So we want to make sure that things are written and worded correctly to where they're not going to hinder our keeping, when really that's not what this is for. This is for uh, live animal markets and eating them basically you know like how COVID-19 may or may have not started um, not going to get into that but nonetheless uh, we don't want them to overreach into our industry and keeping of reptiles and then uh, the big one that we have is also COVID-19 related and this is a, a federal uh, act and this is the HEROES Act um, it is a huge 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 1800 page uh, that's the, the Democratic draft of that is 1,800 pages. And when you get to page like 1,628 to 1,635 is when they talk about things that are going to uh, affect us. And a lot of people said they're trying to reverse the Lacey's Act. And if you guys know, with the Lacey's Act, that's the, the ruling on the big five that we fought. How many years ago did we fight that? It was like 2013. It was, no, 2012 was like it passed, wasn't it? It was like put in, and then it was, was amended. It like 20, and then it was amended in like 2015, wasn't it? Where yeah, we could. I think it was 2015. Four or five years ago, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was so, still, I was out of the hobby at the time, but I was still getting U.S. ARC alerts about like you know the amendments and everything. Um. So this is going to ban interstate transportation, uh, which is obviously going to affect almost everyone who breeds and ships. Um, but it will also expand what's considered, oh gosh, this word again, uh, injurious species. Uh, in addition to the above amendment, it alters the definition of what an injurious species is. 
and that is that it can transmit a pathogen that can cause disease in humans. So everything is very general terms. Uh, this act has some other consequences. One, it creates a new route to petition for listing injurious species with uh, 90 days for the government to respond. So that's a, a big you know, time period right there. That's three months. That's a quarter of a year. Uh, requires a list of species that could pose a biohazard risk to human health that is going to be compiled by the government. Uh, which may not necessarily be based on science, so just going to throw that out there. Um, and that'll be fine. That list that the government's going to make will be finalized one year after the passing of this act. It creates new electronic permitting system, which will be interesting if that gets passed. How we're going to work with that, uh, and it also creates new monitoring, research management, and database framework um, through the United States Geological Survey, National Wildlife Health Center, and Wildlife Disease Surveillance. Oh, I. Switch that around. That, I said that wrong. Uh, but anyway, this got passed by the uh, it got passed by the House and will not get passed by the Senate. But that that yeah, most likely it won't because you know the Republicans Republicans and Democrats one rules one, one rules the other. Uh, but we still need to be alert and and know that this could be a threat for us because I don't think they're going to stop trying. They're going to amend it. The biggest problem is. The bill itself was created on 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 the top of it was created to provide the new payout uh, stimulus payout to people and help with that. But then they hid this deep inside the bill, which has nothing to do with trying to help people through this whole process. If anything, it's going to screw over many people who use this money they make from selling and breeding animals. Uh, it's going to screw them out of having that money or these pet shops that are able to you know buy them from a state away they will be able to get them well that's something i always think is like because as soon as it came to that light that that was like the heroes act as i call it because they were giving a nice name to uh it's everybody's like all of my friends are not reptile related are like like hell yeah let's get this passed now we need this passed tonight because yep. they heard, they heard, they heard, exactly and that's saying you can well it's, here's the thing. it's easier for me to come up and punch you straight in the jaw if I give you $500 afterwards, isn't it, James? Well, it makes you feel a lot better. And people are going <laughs> to – so this bill was, was designed by Democrats. So you're going to have people on the other side going, see, look what the Democrats are doing. But don't let that fool you. Republicans do the same shit. Both – all political parties do this nowadays, unfortunately. They can no longer write a bill just for one thing. They've got to write a bill, and then everything they've been trying to pass for the last five years, we're going to throw in there also. And just try to sneak it by. And then when the other side votes our bill down, we're going to say, well, see, it's because they don't like the American people. And they don't want to help you out. When in reality, no, they don't like the 15 other things you hid deep inside the bill that have nothing to do with this. And that's yeah, I didn't like screwed. And, and I, I'm just thankful that we have USARC to be able to find these, yes. you know, this is almost 2,000 pages and, and, you know, deep in there, 75% of the way through is this, you know, excerpt from us that will affect us. Excuse me. And that's thing I didn't like either is how they're adding the ability for the public to petition now, which, because I'd like to think we have some intelligent people in our government, no one proven wrong a lot of times. But the fact is, I think those people are probably more educated than the general public because, uh, let's say you have some terrible thing, like, uh, I don't know, some guy has a cobra in Ohio or whatever, and it gets loosened by somebody. Well, then all of a sudden, the public can get out and be like, we need to ban cobras. They're a massive invasive species. They can be injurious. And it's like, dude, Ooh, you can say it right. I can't. And here's the thing. 
people like they're, it's, it'll be a non-issue that they had to make a, a big public outcry from you know, like, like they, it's like the anacondas they had up in Maine. Somebody let one anaconda loose, and then there was a big thing in Maine. They wanted to ban anacondas. And like, That's a non-problem. This is why I say our hobby is very much like the gun hobby, because one person goes out and shoots somebody with a gun, all guns need to be outlawed because they will kill people, which is just not true. One person lets a snake out. Everyone should not be allowed to have them because one person's a fucking retard. Yeah, it's it's so stupid. That's that's my thing. Is when you start getting people involved like that, like people cry petitions because then you give uh, a big power a big power play to places like the animal rights organizations and HSUS and PETA and stuff. Yeah, I I need everybody to understand. If you've ever thought PETA or the Humane Society of the United States are good, you are wrong. Those are small terrorist groups. They fit all the requirements of being a terrorist group. They've done everything any other terrorist group has done, shy of putting, taking a video of shooting someone in the head and sending it. Like They skipped that one part. But they are horrible. Never give money to PETA. They don't like animals. I don't care how much they want to say they do. And never give money to Humane Society. They don't give a shit about saving animals. All they care about is making money. Because the Humane Society doesn't save any, any animals. They save none. They run no shelters. Uh... They put out that sad video with Sarah McLaughlin singing in the background to make you send them money. And then oh, they, they changed the song now. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then they put the money in their pockets. None of that money goes to save dogs down the street. It's not happening. Well, that's another problem. It's like uh, a lot of local shelters, though, will still give parts of their revenue uh, to them. Which is which they're sucks. not receiving any money from Humane Society. If you want to help, if you want to help a shelter, go find your local rescue and donate towels, blankets, cleaning materials. To ask them what they need, donate it to that person who has those animals that are trying to find a home for. Just like I've said before with the whole U.S. art, and again, Eric was the one that made me think about this. As someone who breeds animals, from now on, I've made a decision, $5 of every animal I sell will go to U.S. art. And I, I see it as buying insurance. I'm buying insurance in the hobby. I'm sending my $5 per animal to them so they can still try and fight, so that I can keep my animals in the future. And so I, I think it's very important for anybody to understand. If you own one leopard gecko, U.S. Ark is fighting for you. They're not just fighting for the guy that has 500 ball pythons. They're fighting for the person that has one corn snake, one garter snake. I mean, every single one of us. So it's very important that if you, if you can give to them, give them $10 a year. I don't care, but, but give something to them. And that goes into our contest that we have. I guess it's kind of a contest, kind of a raffle type of thing, too. Um, if you, There's three ways that you can be entered, and each of these ways will count as one ticket, so to speak. So you can like U.S. ARC on Facebook, send us a screenshot of that to the Reptile Gumbo Podcast Facebook or email, um, and that will get you in. You can sign up for their email alerts and send us a screenshot that you did that, or that you already have it, that works too. And then if you are a member or become a member of US Arc, send us a screenshot of that as well, and that'll get you into the raffle drawing, which will end on the 31st of May. So after the 31st, um, I will go ahead and tally everyone up. We'll pick a name, and you will win a US Arc shirt. So you just have to give us your size and all that stuff. But we'll deal with that later when we get the winner. And so the podcast after that date that gets released, so it'll probably be the week of the 7th, uh, we will say who the winner is and then get your details for that. 
But the basic thing here is to be involved with USARC, so that way, and there's also, there's other organizations, but this is, you know, one of the bigger ones. But that way you know what's going on, because I was ignorant for a really long time, and even I know when I read this stuff to you, I know I butcher some stuff, and I, I probably don't say the facts right, but I'm just trying to alert you guys that this stuff is going on, and we need your help and need to participate in it, and honestly, it holds me accountable to give the comments and stuff too not gonna lie so, <laughs> totally selfish <laughs> yeah, so there's three way if you do all three of those those are three entries yeah there you go now i do want to read i found uh i found the wording from the louisiana part of it popped up okay. thing today a friend of mine posted that the hearing for this bill is actually tomorrow which will be the 19th it'll be may 19th um but it says whereas yada yada bill requires the department of wildlife and fisheries of louisiana uh, wildlife and fisheries louisiana wildlife and fisheries commission to promulgate, promulgate, anyway, I'll look that word up because I didn't know if it's put into law. Uh, put into law the rules and regulations to control the importation and private possession of non-indigenous constrictors in excess of 12 feet in length. Venomous snakes, non-human primates, big exotic cats, including but not limited to tigers, lions, leopards, jaguars, cheetahs, and hybrids resulting from crossbreeding of such cats. And, whereas the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries should examine the advisability of expanding its rules regulating the possession and ownership of certain exotic and invasive species to include members of the monitor lizard family, other invasive lizard species, and any other potentially invasive species that originate in other parts of the world with similar climate and habitat to that of Louisiana. All right. So what it's saying is that they want to allow wildlife and fisheries to tell you you can no longer own any snake that gets over 12 foot. And then they want to add many different lizards and monitors to that list as well. Which is fucking ridiculous, because as someone who lives in Louisiana, I know that these animals would all freeze to death through a winter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if they're really worried, look, Mediterranean geckos, that's the one that's invasive. There's no stopping them. They're already here. Water monitors are not an issue here. That's not... That does not, have to be on, not, need, does not need to be on there. And if they're truly truly worried about invasive species that can damage the habitat, damage uh, wildlife populations, then they would outlaw cats. Not big cats. I'm not talking tigers and lions. I'm talking about Fluffy. I'm talking about the one that you buy a can of food for. Cats. Outdoor cats do far more damage than any animal they have on this list of possible things they need to outlaw. But that's not going to happen. Cats will never be outlawed. And again, I know April owns cats, but your your ball sack cats live in your house. They are not yep. sadistic murderers who will go outside and kill for fun, which is what cats do. So that's yeah, cat, my, cats are indoor only and should always be. And so, like this new thing that they're trying to pass, it it starts now at twelve foot constrictors, but it's only a matter of time before if this passes, they move it down to eight foot, six foot, all constrictors, all boas, all pythons. And so that is why it is important to fight these things. Because, like I said before, once they get a foot in, we're screwed. And we've, we do a good job, like the Glaciac. They got a foot in, and we were good enough to fight them off and get them away. And now they're back again. And does it matter if you don't keep retics, berms, anacondas? That doesn't matter. If you keep a reptile, trust me, they want to come for you. And I know that may sound like I'm paranoid, but it's not. It's 100% factual. If you own an animal, PETA and the Humane Society are coming for you. 
any animal. I don't give a shit if it's a little dwarf hamster. They don't want you to have it. So. Hey James, are, are you ready to uh, to hop off your soapbox? I I guess. I just. <laughs> you were so so enthusiastic. Well, I thought he was going to build a tent up there. <laughs> the problem is like we get these random bills here or there normally, but because of COVID nineteen. There's so many of them right now being trying to be rushed into uh, all these different states and across the country uh, that it's going to be very hard for U.S. Arc to fight on all these fronts. Yeah. And someone's going to lose. Someone somewhere is going to lose. And so that is my big concern. I hope it's not us. Yeah. So, all right. But yeah. That that's our, all we got, right? That is our makeup. And, 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 and that's our makeup podcast. And I promise if the sound quality is good, you have now heard this podcast. If it is not, then I'm talking to myself right now. And I'm going to go cry in the corner. No. So, so just hoping the sound quality is good. Uh, so yes, we will have next week and we'll have Megan back hopefully next week. That is the plan. And we can listen to, and to her about her yellow, non-yellow anacondas that she has. Heck yeah, super excited. Yeah, yellow non yellows. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ryan. So if people want to contact you and talk to you, because Cox will talk to anybody, he's lonely. Wow, I had to bring that back up, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Cox, where can they get a hold of you besides every other podcast? Every apparently every other podcast. Uh, specialized on on Facebook. Follow me there. I mean, you can find me Ryan Cox on Facebook. If you really want to message me, I mean, it happens. You know, whatever. Please don't message him and ask him what he has for sale. It's nothing. He has nothing for it's sale. It's nothing. Nothing. But if you want to talk to him about anything he has, he's all for it. As long He'll as talk not, your ear off. As long as you're not asking to buy it. <laughs> Why would you say I'll talk your ear off, asshole? <laughs> um, all right, April, where can they find you? You can find me on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook at Designer Exotics or designerexotics.net. You can find me at simply underscore serpents on Instagram or simply serpents on Facebook. Uh, I did have a new litter. Like I said, I had a new litter of Sambo's born. They are all normal het annery babies. Um, I expect three more litters, probably the same thing. Uh, so if you want a Sambo in the next month or so, hit me up uh, and we'll see what can happen. I will be doing the Herps shows. I think I'm, I'm going to try and see if I can get them ready for the Conroe show, which is the 13th and 14th of June. I don't think I'll have them ready in time, but we'll see if any of them really are hungry and want to eat a lot. Uh, you can find us at the Reptile Gumbo Podcast on Instagram or Facebook, or email us at the Reptile Gumbo Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, email us if you have any ideas for the show, topics you want to discuss, videos, anything. Email us or find our post that I put up on our Facebook page and reply, and we will talk about it. That is it for episode 16. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Ryan. And we will talk at you again next week. Bye. Bye. See ya.